Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. All right, what is up, Gypsy Gang? We're back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast and super, super stoked on this one. Uh, AJ Cantanzaro is a professional supercross racer uh, racing right now in the 450 class over in the US. Uh, he's a privateer, but he is a dude that has a lot going on within the industry. Uh, he's got his own coaching academy. Uh, he has uh, current pro guys like Jet Lawrence, uh, Duke these training schools with him. Uh, Aaron Plessinger's booked in for one uh, in a couple weeks. He also has a really awesome YouTube channel and he puts in a ton of effort with his content. Uh, and he's kind of got to the point now with his YouTube channel uh, and the content that he does that it's bringing in uh, enough to have a guy working for him full time. Uh, so AJ's in a really unique place in the industry. And I think it's really cool to hear how he talks about I guess not really needing to go racing uh, and needing to get a ride. He's kind of got a solid program with the content that he's done. And I think that AJ is probably going to be, I guess, like the, he's a pioneer in this field, I think. And I think that you're going to see a lot of guys uh, looking over to what AJ's done eventually. uh, And uh, it will become more of the new normal. So I really enjoyed this chat. It was really cool getting to talk to somebody that's in the content game uh, in a similar way uh, and making money out of this sport through uh, a completely different lane. So uh, this podcast was brought to you as always by the guys at MX Store. You can head to mxstore.com.au, the biggest, the best. They are for sure doing huge things in the industry and supporting the industry in a massive, massive way. Uh, I went into... What did I get from MX Store yesterday? Oh, yeah. Got the quad lock. Got the quad lock happening for the old Ducati. And, uh, yeah, basically, they just stock everything. Everything that you could want for your dirt bike. So, mxstore.com.au. They do same-day shipping. If you get in an order before 2 p.m. on a weekday, uh, or you can do the click click and collect, which is what I do uh, because we're just around the corner from their Burley showroom. So mxor.com.au. We're also brought to you by the guys at Boost Mobile. And if you're watching 
slash listening to these shows. Boost plays a huge part in that. Uh, we use all of our data for these shows is through the Boost mobile network uh, because our internet here is basically non-existent. So boost.com.au, uh, you can transfer your number over no matter who you are with. It's a about a five-minute process. It's extremely easy. I actually transferred my number over from Telstra years ago now when we kicked off our partnership with Boost. So super easy and easily the best service provider for prepaid in the game in Australia. Uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at Crick's Tweed. You can head to crickstweed.com.au. Hit up Kyle. He is absolutely the man there to get you sorted. If you tell him you're a member of the Gypsy Gang, you are going to get looked after. Uh, incredible after-sales service as well. Um, these guys, they're just one of the best dealerships in Australia for uh, for those reasons. We're also brought to you by the guys at Rival Inc. You can head to rivalincdesignco.com. Pump in the code Gypsy Tales for 15 percent off uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at fist handware you can head to fisthandware.com.au that same code gypsy tales is going to work there and it is also going to work at dixonquality.com.au uh, and we're coming into flano season and i am excited there's a bunch of new drops going on all the time so make sure you follow uh, that dixon quality oz instagram as well uh, thank you to everybody for watching, uh, for listening. Uh, head to our YouTube channel. We have two YouTube channels now. One is for the clips and more moto stuff. And the second is for the full length podcast and clips of uh, some of the non-moto related content. So we have been grinding it out on YouTube. Um, it has been, yeah, a lot of hard work, but it's really paying off. We had 2 million people watch the YouTube channel uh, last month, which is insane so yeah that's a, a big deal for us uh you can head to the merch store as well gypsytales.com uh support the show if you feel like repping some gear really hope you enjoy this podcast with aj kenzaro aj kenzaro we have made it happen we have made, I think, don't, do not jinx it. Don't jinx it nah, because nah. we could have a great conversation and then my video might not even work. Who knows? Nah, we're good. We're good. We're good, man. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. I've been, uh, I've been wanting to have you on, uh, for quite a while. And then, uh, the whole Mathis thing, we connected through that a little bit more and, and, uh, yeah, I've been, uh, been excited to, to get you on, dude. I, first of all, I'm a, I'm a big fan of your YouTube channel uh in Thank terms you. purely of the content and then secondly i'm a massive fan of the headspace that you must occupy to do the youtube channel the way that you do it so there's like on a bunch of levels i am a big fan thank you i'm not to praise you too much here but uh i'm a big fan as well man really i think you do an amazing job no yeah you I had voice for it you, you you really you know what you're talking about you're like, for some reason, your voice is nice to listen to. It might just be because you're Australian. I'm not sure, but yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, yeah, but it's yeah, um, no, yeah, it's cool. So, and and before we get too deep into it, I really appreciate the effort that you've gone in uh, to the setup. It's not easy to uh, to pull this off the way that we've done it. So this is going to be a great, no, especially and, when you're working with podcast. somebody that has no idea what they're doing. Nah, I think so if you, this I think all works and if you guys are watching this, 
and we're not talking over each other and like it, it comes out good it, it was a miracle <laughs> no we're, we're solid so um <clears throat> let's just jo- dive straight into how fucking hard is it to make a 450 main event in 2021 mm. it's uh, you know i tell everybody i don't want it to be my my narrative because mm. it is so hard and i I'm, I'm just doing it differently i mean racing isn't my main focus although it's a big part of my life right at this moment in time because i it's taking a lot of my time as i'm going to the races every weekend but the other 40 weeks of the year i'm not riding at all you know so for anybody if you're training 365 days a year and this is what you eat sleep and breathe it is still nearly impossible to make a Mm. 450 main event and then when you ride as much or as little as i do it's dang near impossible i mean the chances are so slim and those guys are riding so good so the way i put it is you're one to 20 or we'll say you're one to 15 you're one to 12 has always been and always will be ridiculously ridiculously fast what's really changed these last couple years in my opinion is your 18 to 35 Mm. and i'm talking positions here like 35th place is flying and i don't think that was the case man even four or five years ago i just i don't think that was the case you know the field wasn't as deep from that 20th to 40th position in the 450 class you have your Cade Clayson's, you have your Alex Ray's. I could name 15 guys that all fall right into that category. It, it, it's, uh, it's very easy to get discouraged. I was talking to some guys after the race last night and it's just like, you need to be in a certain headspace to just manage expectations and to be realistic. And of course you don't want to set goals too low. Right. But it, uh, when you go out there every single weekend and if your goal was to make the main event and we're what, I think 12 rounds deep, 13 rounds deep. And that was my one main goal and my main focus. I'd be pretty depressed at this point. So the goals are small. The goals are a little more creative. The goals are, um, a little bit more, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. It's like I go out for a session and my goal is to, keep my feet on the pegs. My goal is to, um, uh, uh, be aggressive. My goal is to like block past one person just to try to get that aggression. Like it's weird little goals like that, that first of all, distracts my mind. And then secondly, and I think this is important, they're easily obtainable. So you kind of have that rewarding feeling. Whereas if, if my goal was main event, main event, main event, and I'm chasing it for a year, I'm chasing it for two years that's going to get discouraging really quick. Yeah, so I think um, what you said about the, the narrative, I think that even for me, like as a person that is commentating on the sport in a sense these days, I think we have to shift the narrative collectively as a sport away from just the podium because I think whoever was on the box is who got talked about and whoever wasn't on the box kind of failed if that makes sense. I think that's been the narrative for a really long time. And you're right, man. Like 
there's guys like I watch your videos and I look at the way you ride a bike and I'm like, God damn, he looks so good. Like it's so the level that you're riding at. I mean, you know, let's go back like five, six years. You, you might be in like the top 15, you know what I mean? But nowadays it's just the, the, the game has changed. And I think, I think about guys like right now, Dylan Ferrandis, Malcolm Stewart, uh, Dean Wilson, these guys that are, they're not even like Ferrandis has been on the podium, but they're not even podium guys. And they're some of the best in the world. And I think that we're sort of heading into territory where we need to start. Like, obviously the podium is always going to be the podium, but there's, I think the expectations are changed for everybody that, um, you know, we almost need to celebrate like this best of the rest, like the mid pack kind of the way that the formula one does and then really kind of uh, appreciate just how difficult it is for guys like yourself, A-Ray, Clayson, those dudes that are battling uh, Bowers. You know, Bow- you go back a couple of years ago, man, Bowers was winning lights class races Beast. and battling with Coop for a championship. Now Coop is leading this championship and he's in the LCQ. So I think there's just this weird shift that's going on in the sport uh, to where we really can't live and die by race results in the way that I think that we kind of have in the in the past and the way that I think comes like naturally to people, if that makes sense. <clears throat> and I think that perspective is shifting a little bit. I think the I LCQ agree. used to be looked at as like I, you would feel shame to go to the LCQ. I don't think it's as much like that anymore. I mean, I think the battles that are taking place and, and the racing that's taking place in the LCQ is taken a lot more seriously now. Yeah. Right. Because look at the names of the guys that are battling for those spots. They're fast freaking dudes. They are fast. I got 13th in the LCQ this weekend. I rode really well. <laughs> like mm. I thought I rode great. I didn't make any mistakes, really. I got caught up in some stuff in the first couple laps, which is really the make or break, right? But I, I, even if you look at lap times, they were a second and a half faster than me. Mm. And I rode well. I was jumping pretty much everything. I was skimming the whoops, I think, probably as fast as those guys were. It's just, yeah, I think that's going to change. And, and the 450 class will change before the 250. And yeah. then... The 250 LCQ will eventually, hopefully, if the sport continues on this trend, will get to that point as well. You look yeah. at the 450 LCQ gate, if you watch one in person, every dude is going really, really fast. Yeah. I mean, you have like, I, I could just keep naming names. You have guys like Henry Miller um, that are getting, like Nick Schmidt is really good. Uh, Scott yeah. Champion, super good. I mean, you could go down that whole list. All of those guys are dang good. I qualified 37th in time qualifying two weekends ago. And my, I thought I had a good qualifying lap. You yeah. know? And then I qualified 26th or whatever it was this weekend. And I, f- yeah. I felt the same. That's a 10-position so, jump. I almost didn't make the night show. Yeah. So And so what in your mind, like obviously, I actually didn't know that you didn't ride for that much of the year. We'll pro- I'd say we'll get into that at some point as well. But mm-hmm. From the AJ that rocks up at a Supercross race right now, who rides fucking good, what is the difference between you and Cooper Webb that you can see tangibly on the racetrack on the weekend? 
That difference is a little bit more major. There's a lot of things that go into the Cooper Web. So we'll, we'll start with this. The difference between me and uh, Kyle Chisholm, somebody that mm-hmm. makes the main event consistently, Kyle Chisholm is as solid as they get. And yep. he's a, say, he's a 17th, he's a 16th, 18th place main event guy every weekend. The difference between me and a Chiz is if, but if on the bike fitness, for me is a huge, I'm lacking that huge right now, but that's, that's something that is easily obtainable for somebody that rides consistently. Um, and with that comes that extra bit of intensity. So landing a rhythm into a corner and just that one second of throttle where I'm just using that as my rest zone and coasting for a second, it's, um, charging that extra six inches into a corner, just that little bit where I'm using those zones right now to chill out, to take that deep breath, to flow around the corner and rest for a second and be like, all right, here comes the rhythm. Let's prep for this rhythm. Okay, here we go. And into the rhythm we go where those guys are attacking every inch of the track. It's minor. The difference between me and a Cooper Webb, there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle. First of all, unfortunately, so I'm 27 years old. I feel like my skill on a bike is good, is really is, is up there with, some of the better guys, but I am, I'm years behind. Thank you. I'm years behind because I trained hard in 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015 is when the Academy started. So 2015 to current. So the last six years have been dedicated to building my business. These six years, I've probably ridden. This isn't an exaggeration. Hmm. Races excluded, I've probably ridden 15 days a year. So do the math on that. These guys are riding four days a week, 52 yeah. weeks a year, no matter what. There, that is, I'll never catch up. I'll never catch up. I'm six years behind of whatever that math is, however many days I missed per year, times that by six, mm. I'm screwed. But yeah. I can close that gap. In, in a year to get to where Chiz is, maybe in two years to get to where Chiz is, where if I start doing four days a week, which my wife is going to be working remote, my business is at a place where I'm financially independent, where I can not make money for six months, go train, you know, and put some time in. And I'm hoping that that will get me to that level next year because it's minor stuff, man. But when you're doing it how I'm doing right now, and I got a good start in the heat this weekend. I was riding in 10th or 11th the first couple laps. By lap three, I was so tired I could barely even get around that track. Mm. And that's three laps into a heat race. And I'm not embarrassed to say that because it's a super physical sport. And I I, I know kind of my situation. But by the time Alex Ray passed me for 11th, I couldn't feel my arms. I couldn't breathe. And I, I might as well just pulled off at that point. That is hectic, dude. And it's really scary to ride. I hate talking about this because, first of all, it always sounds like an exaggeration. And I don't want to make excuses. Um, but to not ride ever, to, to practice 14 days a year, and to have that be only on a supercross track is really terrifying. Mm. It's not like I'm just going out and riding an outdoor track and kind of, kind of build myself back into it. You know, it's like, all right, here we go. Haven't ridden in six months. Let's, uh, let's gear up and just go hit these supercross whoops. All right, cool. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I could see that being a, a pretty heavy experience. Yeah, it, it's different. It's almost like I'm still running off of muscle memory from 2015, and that's kind of carried me through to till now. Yeah. But it, I, I can't get away with it much longer. Yeah. You know, and so, the competition is getting faster, and I'm getting older. Yeah. And, and so did you you just made the choice to put the effort early into the academy and the youtube channel because i mean here here is the thing with all of this is like even if you were qualifying for mains like you get to the point where you're a cheers and you know you sort of put life on hold for a bit and you get in and make mains like really what does that mean like there's probably a level of personal satisfaction in that and i'm sure Mm -hmm. and i think that that's all you need and to just to backtrack a little bit when you said you don't want to make excuses i think that just by you like laying out your expectations i don't think that you're expecting to make mains and then you're saying like oh i'm super tired and it's an excuse i don't think it's an excuse at that point if your expectations like you kind of know where you're at um but yeah it's like let's say you take that six months off and you train and you get to where you're a main event guy every single weekend yeah what's the fucking big you know what i mean what's the difference like you you're there or you're not like i mean yeah personal fulfillment that is a worthwhile mm-hmm. achievement i mean i train super fucking hard at jujitsu for literally no reason uh, but there's a personal satisfaction in that there's a personal fitness level there's like the mental stuff that i've got to overcome every day just to show up and do the training so i think that you know you can't you can't discount the worth of just a personal satisfaction that you can get from something. Um, but it's like, um, it's like, yeah, I mean, do, does it even get that much better for you just by making mains? It would, it would take all of that dedication to just barely be making mains and to be a 20th yeah. place guy, to be a 19th yeah. place guy. Right. And, and you're exactly right. That, would be just kind of a personal goal really yeah and it it, i mean man it's tough because i consciously made that decision 2000 tail end of 2014 going into 15 i had a lot of people in my ear that were outside of the industry saying well what are you gonna do after riding this and that and it just kind of got my gears turning i I always did really well in school i was always pretty articulate I was training riders when I was 13, 14 years old. I was already had that dialogue going. I was kind of like starting to train people and tailor my training style and learn how to articulate it and make sense of it. And I was just like, you know what? We're, we're going to do this thing because you're not going to make much money racing supercross. You're not going to, you're going to make even less money racing outdoors. I got to be yeah. creative with it. And try to brand myself. And the, the last five years, especially the last, I'd say, 12 months, I've really gained some serious momentum with it. Yeah. And it, now it's at the point where I'm 27 years old. I feel like I'm just getting into my physical prime. Yeah. Knock on wood, I've been pretty injury-free throughout my career. There's no reason I can't do three, four, five, six more years of racing because I love it. Yeah. And if the business is self-sustaining enough to be able to do its thing and I could put my time into training and be a consistent main event guy and do the YouTube thing the way I'm doing it which is only gonna hopefully continue that upward trend 
and yeah. run the academy the way I'm doing it and having these guest instructors and teaching classes three, four days a week. Yeah. That's going to be a deadly combination. I mean, there's nobody doing it. No. I don't, I don't want to toot my own horn. I really don't. But there's no, nobody doing it hey, kind of the way it. I that's do it you're now. <laughs> you're there's no one you're really doing, doing you're it the way I do it now, bullshit. but I want to I want to take it to the next level. I want to be like really competitive racing and I want to be my goal is to be the best trainer in the world. I, I really want to be the best motors motocross trainer in the world. But I want to be a freaking competitive racer at the same time. I yeah. don't know if that's possible, but I'm going to try. Yeah, and I mean, fuck, dude. Like, I, I, I guess that's kind of the, um, I guess that's kind of a part of what the personal freedom of doing well at your own business, and you know, you get like a good YouTube check every month, and you got some good sponsors, and you're making money. Like, that's what you should be doing. Like, you should be trying to tick all these boxes, and then if the racing thing is like again part of that personal satisfaction, it's just like fucking hook in dude like it's not not many people get the opportunity and man like to work for the last five years to build that base um and i think that what you're experiencing is just like the internet there's like a long tail of consistency where you put in like over time and over time over time i mean i'm experiencing Mm -hmm. that now with with gypsy tales it's like people i i feel like i'm this overnight success to people and it's like, eh, well, you know what back. it's like, it's like investing money. Yeah. It doesn't seem like much is happening for a long period of time, but then all of a sudden yeah. it compounds and you're like, okay, now yeah. the only regret you'll have, and I'll give this advice to anybody out there is that you didn't start sooner. Yeah. My only regret is that I didn't start this YouTube thing and all this stuff sooner. Yeah. Because it gets to a point where it compounds and all of a sudden, like you said, it, Everybody knows who Gypsy Tales is. Everybody watches, it seems, these uh, vlogs where I'm teaching people how to ride. That didn't yeah. happen overnight. I've been trying to post these things for a long time now, and I just stuck with it. Yeah. Yeah, well, so what was your, um, what was your, like, early or first belief or first influence or what got the ball rolling for you? Because, dude, I remember that your YouTube shit fucking ages ago, like... You were on the YouTube shit way before I even kind of had my head in that game. And I feel like I'm a pretty early adopter to it. Same with Jeff Walker, man. Like you guys really saw something a long time ago. So what was your early influence? And and what did you think it would be at the start? That's a good question. I'm trying to think. It wasn't anybody motocross related. Um, it's because there was no one doing it. Right. There was nobody doing it. Um, and mine were terrible at the beginning, terrible, but I did have a vision of what it could be. And I always thought like, man, my life is so cool all the time. Like imagine if there was a camera following me around and I had a reality show about myself just all the time, always doing what people think are, is really cool stuff. And now I have a full-time camera guy. Like it's turning into that. It's crazy. I'm trying to think, Oh shoot, man. I know there's people. I just, who do I watch on YouTube? Drawing a blank. Who was yours? Do you have somebody in mind? Oh, dude, Rule Rogan was like the only podcast I ever listened to. And for me, um, for me, the big thing, so like I didn't even want to do the podcast. Like I, I, don't, I don't know how much I've even spoke about it. Dude, Dungy's the reason why 
I really started doing the podcast because um, we did the, you know, that homegrown shoot where Dunge was in the cornfields. And yeah, did you do yeah, that? So, yeah, so, well, not, I didn't do it, but I was on the crew. Um, I used to work with Wes. I'm so, And I've never met you before? Dude, maybe, like, at some point. Like, I was always around, but I just never really, like, I don't know. I just kind of stuck to myself a bit, I guess. Um, but, yeah, so we did the, we did Homegrown, and me and uh, Jeremy Malott are, like, fucking best mates. And Jeremy pretty much made me do this podcast with Dunge for Homegrown to just get, like, audio for it. And he's like, oh, if it's cool, we can post it. And um, and then, yeah, anyway, Dunge after that was just like, dude, you should do this. Like, I actually spoke to him the other day. He messaged me and be like, man, I can't believe it. That's, like, three years ago and you've just, you know, you've done what you've done from it. And I, I said to him, I was like, man, you're actually, like, a big reason because I'd worked with him so many times. And sometimes it was just like pulling fucking teeth just to get him to do anything. And, um, which is fair enough because they're in the middle of their shit. <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, he, he said to me after we did this, uh, this, there was like, yeah, I guess like the first ever Gypsy Tales. And he was just like, dude, you should really do this. Like this was a very enjoyable experience for me and I don't really enjoy this stuff that much. And, uh, and yeah, after that, it was kind of like a, uh, weird collision of events but then i had some visa stuff go down i had to come back to australia and uh and all i really had was like like kind of the equipment from doing that podcast and um and then i was just like oh shit i guess i'll do this but uh, like so to get back to what you said about influence um i'd only ever watch rogan and then when i was back in australia and i was like man if i can't get my visa to go back to america like i kind of need to figure out something to do and I just didn't want to start the video thing again in Australia and just kind of like rebuild that. It's just a whole grind in itself, you know, like I didn't have any clients. I'd been mm-hmm. in America for like eight years. And um, and then, yeah, I just thought like there is no studio like what Joe Rogan has in Australia. So then honestly, my goal was just to like build that kind of studio. And I just had it in my head like, fuck, I feel like it could work if it was there. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that was kind of my first... Um, like influence but oh dude it just took so long like itunes it's always done well um but the youtube thing man like it's just the biggest grind and you've just got to like figure out that formula and once you do when you're kind of in the algorithm um then you can sort of you know just kind of fine-tune and go yeah just just got to stick with it as you were talking i I kind of thought of what that influence was so it was like snowboard films um who's the guy that does like the documentary style Travis Rice, yeah. Yeah. Rice? Is that his last name? Yeah. Um, that I would watch s- stuff like that, and I would think to myself, man, like, I'm not necessarily the best racer, but I could free ride with the best of these guys. Like, mm. what? I wish there was a career path to just never have to race and to just free ride. And then you saw, like, Ronnie Renner and these guys that seemed like they were kind of doing that. And now, obviously, there's Axel Hodges, there's Tyler Berriman, there's tons of guys that are doing just that. But that didn't mm. exist eight years ago, ten years ago, I don't think, really. I mean, maybe one guy. And especially not on YouTube, man. Like there was always the No, not on YouTube, always but been in like my mind, I saw thing. YouTube. Yeah. Sorry. 
in no, my like, mind, I saw YouTube as that outlet is like, okay, yeah. I could do this myself. I don't need a film, a giant film crew. I don't need a high budget ordeal. I think I was just forward thinking in that sense. Like, okay, I saw what YouTube was and I'm like that, this is the perfect outlet for that. And I can just yeah. create my own TV show to be able to put that out to the, to the world and, and do whatever the heck I want. Where, like I said, that's, I've grinded and grinded and grinded and now it's at the point where it's making enough money to where I can hire a film guy. It's making enough money where I can do these things. And then that just makes it explode even more. Yes. Because any idea I think of at this point, I could just go do. I was like, oh, it's, I, it's crazy. I, so yeah. I was just going to say a really good idea. I can't say it, but <laughs> we, we just have a whole, on my iPhone, we have a whole list of just video ideas. Yeah. And there's nothing dude, stopping us so from doing cool. all of them. Yeah, it's no, super man. exciting. It, yeah, it's awesome, and I, I think more and more people are gonna sort of come around to seeing like the power of of YouTube and the, I guess like the community that that you can um that you can build on there. But I think that you've been really forward thinking, um, for a long time. Like even the Stuart video that you did, like run the Stuart one two five. Like, dude, that's just like hacking culture you know like you you got the skills to back it up then you went out you got the bike you picked the most iconic gear that he ever wore like that's that's a genius video you literally hacked motocross motocross supercross culture to make that video and it's like there's no way that video cannot work and it's fucking awesome <laughs> that man when when we talk about that it, the whole trajectory of that whole thing could not have been written and scripted any better. I so mean, break down that whole of process. That video shoot. It was insane. Like the that well, the Stewart one and the Pastrana one will yeah. I, likely forever be just staples of my life. I mean, th those were two ginormous things. Between the video shoots were both absolutely amazing. And both races. I mean, I ended up doing great at both the races and obviously with the Pastrana one, I almost killed myself, but it was best case scenario. So backing up to the beginning, I got a call from uh, Jeremy at Red Bull. Yeah. No, I didn't. I knew that straight. I've always wanted to do straight rhythm from the year it first started. I'm like, that's right up my alley. No turns. Great. Okay. I'm good at jumps. I'm good at scrubbing. I'm good at whoops. I'm decent at starts. I could do this. So I got in touch with Steve Mathis, your best friend, Yo and, <laughs> and said, hey, Steve, do you know anybody at Red Bull that I can maybe reach out to and see if I can get an invite to this thing? Because that was right, right when they had announced that it was going to be uh, two strokes and like a tribute. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I have a good idea. I want to I pitch it to him. So he gave me Jeremy at Red Bull's contact. I, I reached out to Jeremy. And, um, we got on a phone call right away and I go, all right, listen, James Stewart was my hero. I want to do, uh, Cowie 125 from, you know, the two five nine James Stewart era and everything. I'm like, I want to do a crazy video shoot, hype it up. Can, can I, can we make this happen? Can I get into the event? And he's like, Oh heck yeah, man. I could get you yeah. the graphics. I have gear. I can get you we yeah. got all this stuff. We can get you. <laughs> And right from that phone call, it was like, all right, this is happening. So I think within that hour, 
I was scrolling through Instagram and I stumbled upon Spencer Luxack had a the craziest custom 125 build you've ever seen. And Derek Anderson, I think it was, did a video shoot at his place in Park City, Utah. Yeah. And I saw a picture. I clicked in. I watched the video. I'm like, that's that this is the bike. Range, I need- right? Yeah, I think that's what it's yeah. called. Yeah. Place is like amazing. It's insane. Amazing. And I go, I need that bike. It popped up right after that phone call. I'm like, that's I, I need that bike. So I've shot him a message on Instagram. He responded. We got on a phone call and we agreed to making it happen. We agreed to doing the shoot at his place. And all of a sudden the ball starts rolling. And then I call my graphic guy. I'm like, all right, this is the graphics that I want to copy. Um, I had three title sponsors that I was able to get on board literally overnight. And I'm like, we need to make these graphics or these logos look exactly like the graphics of this James Stewart bike. And AGMX, my graphic company at the time, did an amazing job tailoring the graphics to look exactly like his, but they're with all my sponsor logos. Reached out to Michael Lieb at Canvas MX, and then he custom did the zebra print, the pink and zebra gear, which ended up looking basically completely identical. Um, I want to say I had a custom painted helmet done, all of this stuff. And this is happening quick. Uh, This isn't over the course of like six months. This is like four days. All of this is just happening. And, um, man, the whole thing, the video turned out unreal. Yeah. And then the way the, the race played out, I, I was actually darn fast and I was going up against like really high power, like KTM one fifties. You're allowed to race a KTM one fifty at straight rhythm yeah. in the one twenty five class. So that year it was Carson Brown was on a modern day, <coughs> Husky. I don't know if he was on a 150, but that thing was fast, whatever the heck it was. And I'm on, I forget what year now. This is bad. 03 or 04, I think. Yeah. Cowie 125, a legit 03 or 04. It wasn't made to look old. It was, it was old. (laughs) And I'm doing rhythms that nobody else was doing. And like right away on that day, I'm like, wow, I'm feeling it. Like this is sick because I'm feeling that pressure. Right. But I was feeling the pressure at first. I'm like, oh God, like I'm going to make a fool of myself if I don't kill it. But right away, right from the first free run, I'm like, this is it. I felt so dang good. And sorry, this coffee's killing me. And uh, the races like went killer. I think I ended up getting second that night. And I didn't premeditate any of this. I don't, I don't know if you remember watching the race, but after I won my semi, semifinal, I throw the bike on the ground and I did the sprinkler because I remember yeah. James Stewart in the 125 days, he would do a dance after every time he won. We would always yeah. look like everyone was like, all right, what's he going to do now? Didn't premeditate that. It would just like popped into my head. As soon as I won and crossed the finish line, I'm like sprinkler. And I just started doing the sprinkler. And then I win the, whatever the next bracket was. And as soon as I win it, just worm doing, never done a worm in my life. <laughs> did a perfect worm. And I'm like, where did that come from? It's just like, I somehow was able to embody, uh, James. And then the Travis was a whole different thing. Like I've never felt energy. I've never had an out of body experience like that whole Pastrana thing. Really? When I watched that back, I mean, you've, you've seen it, right? Where I see yeah, yeah. and launched to yeah. the moon. Yeah. When I watched that back, I'm like, that wasn't me. There's no way that was me on that bike. It, 
because I'm not like that. I'm the rider that dabs his foot in a corner and I'm like, whoa, I almost crashed. Let's back it down. Let's take a breather for yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah. I literally almost killed myself, got the feet back to the pegs, almost killed myself again because I launched however high in the air and then landed almost on the scaffolding. And as soon as my tires touched the ground and I realized I was alive, I just said, what would Travis do? And I'm like, Travis would just pin it and get back on the track and try to win this race. And so I just pinned it. I hopped right back onto the rhythm, went on off, did a one hand or fist pump over the wall jump and then skimmed yeah, the whoops that's and right, still that's like right. barely a bike length behind him at the end. And it was just, I came over, Travis gives me a big hug. Like it was, cause I was the fastest guy that night. I probably should have won, but what happened was 100% the best thing that could have ever happened. Yeah, it was almost better, right? Way better. Wait, if I had won, I mean, it still would have been cool. But that, I mean, that was that. It was just unreal, unreal. And and so uh, with the Travis thing, so Trav was there at the event. And what was it like to? I guess like how was that interaction with Trav? And have you had much to do with Trav before that? No, I hadn't. So that was kind of the same thing. The you know, Red Bull announced that they're going to do the the throwback again, and I don't know what it is. I just I I have a creative mind when it comes to this stuff sometimes. And right away, I'm like, all right, James Stewart, how are we going to top that? And I'm like, Travis Pastrana, duh. Yeah, Travis. I had a couple of heroes: Jeremy McGrath, Kevin Windham, Travis Pastrana, James Stewart. Probably the four that stick out. And I'm like, Travis Pastrana. Of all the racers, I could I could do pretty much all all any trick you can name. I could do. Let, let's do it. And I text Jeremy at Red Bull. I'm like, hey, can you get me in touch with Trav? I just want to ask him if he has interest or if he would like give me his blessing to do this. So he puts us together on a group chat. Trav is all excited. Turns out I only live 30 minutes from him, where oh, I am in, in yeah, Virginia. So, and I had so you went and did no that idea. shoot at his house too, right? Mm-hmm which worked out perfectly. And I, yeah, I'd, I had no idea. I typed it into my Google maps and it was 35 minutes away. I'm like, all of this is meant to be, huh? So Trav was all excited. He invited me to his house to do the video shoot and rode with me the whole day. Had to keep stopping to like ice his limbs because he's so beat up, but filmed the whole day, helped like direct the video. I had never met him leading up to that point, but it felt like we were best friends that whole day. And then the day of straight rhythm, we pitted next to each other. We hung out the whole day. We talked lines, this and that. It was just like, talk about the nicest guy that you'll ever. Oh, talk. yeah. I, I feel like I'm pretty nice, but he made me feel so, he just made me feel like a bad person. Yeah. Because I'll give, <laughs> I'll give an example. So we're, we're doing our, our video shoot straight rhythm. He had a, like a, a mock set up at his house and uh, my video guy goes to film on the track and we were riding one side. So he, he hopped on and he got on the wrong side to film, like the side that we were riding. And there was 15 people standing behind camera and nobody said anything to him. Like there had to have been one person there paying attention. So that got me mad. Like we came down the track, it kind of wasted a shot. We had to turn around. And I think I said, I, I don't know if I said something, but I definitely thought it. I'm like, can't anybody tell him to just get to the other side? Yeah. And as soon as the, the words came out of my mouth, like 
Travis didn't say anything. Travis didn't care. I'm like, oh, I'm a bad person. Travis was <laughs> like, no, no, no. It's okay, guys. Turn around. Fire it back up. I'm like, this guy is so nice. And he yeah, gets every no, time of day. Yeah, you're so right, man. And the person you would imagine that he is, he is. It's kind of like Dungey. Oh. It's like, well, is Dungey really that nice? Yeah, it's, from my experience, yeah, Dungey really is that nice. Same thing with Travis. The thumbs yeah. up, the giddy, this, that, like yapping your ear off, that's Travis. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, man, like you really nailed those two videos. And I mean, you've nailed a lot of videos, but you know, in those two examples, like, dude, just talk about like hijacking the culture of motocross in a super positive way. And it it is genius, man. Like a lot of the stuff that you've done is just genius and you know you've got the skills to back it up they make it look so good you know that moment at straight rhythm it's just like that is what tra- like we watched travis pastrana on a 125 for like a second there you know legs off still sending it hop straight back on the track like yeah man honestly you you nailed those two projects thank you yeah it was just so lucky to have it all come together like that and if straight rhythm happens again i have a another amazing idea i wish i could share it but i can't yeah it's gonna be totally different but yeah i I love it and i love and you're in the same space now right where you can be creative and well you have been the last 10 years um i love it i love just coming up with ideas i love just like hanging out and having a few beers or i've been on a thc gummy streak the last six months or so just pop a 10 milligram gummy am i allowed to say that on youtube <laughs> pop a gummy yeah and just like brainstorm and just yeah. get creative and just write these ideas down on my phone and like now and it's at the point now like i said where the all of them are gonna happen yeah i get giddy talking about it it's so exciting the fact that we can just like do it yeah it's so cool man you and you are right you kind of yeah i guess you do get to to that point um how many just out of curiosity like what what are you getting a month like youtube views wise like are you kind of consistently like do you have like targets that you're like consistently trying to hit about two mil huh yeah about two that sounds really high you're getting two million views a month yeah so so much we're low key. We're low key killing it over here, Ronan in the back there. He's just smiling. Wow. How many? <laughs> how many? Uh, let's look. So, this month only seven hundred eighty thousand. Yeah, that's not only. That's still a lot. Um, two million is unbelievable. How do I look at? I don't know how to. How many videos are you posting? Because it seems like every time I turn oh, around, you have another clip video going up. Yeah, we're pretty much doing clips you know, like those, every day. Um, are you doing that or do you have a guy that's cutting those? So I've been, I've been doing it, uh, like you want to, you want to talk about that whole like grind for a while thing and then it like slowly ramp, like it automatically ramps up kind of deal. So pretty much like Mm -hmm. how it worked for the first two and three quarter years was like me by myself. We had two cameras that recorded every podcast, all the audio. Then I recorded them. And then after every podcast, I had to sit down. I had to switch every single time everyone talked manually. So that's been like the last few years. 
And then uh, in like, I think October, um, had uh, Ronan come on board. He's like a moto, uh, moto kid from the area that rips like sick fucking writer, sick filmer. And, uh, and yeah, we just got together and it just sort of worked out. He just finished school. Um, and then, yeah, so he's pretty much just like come here and started working full time. And that, that has been like a, a big game changer. Cause I can just do a lot more like planning. I'm not sort of s- stuck. Like I still do quite a lot of editing as well. Um, but like, you know, you share that load and it's just really let us, you know, be able to, um, I guess, you can look more zoomed out. You're not just like nose at a screen constantly. Um, so yeah, that, that's been like a, a big part of it. Well, and when you're grinding away, just doing the man hours, you don't really have the, you have much less time to be creative, to, yeah, yeah. to think about expanding. You're just like grinding yep. away. And it's funny because yep. you and I have seemed to kind of reach that milestone at the same time or, or pretty yes. close to the same time. Yeah. It's just, it's leveling up. It's that next step. And then all, it just opens up a ton of other opportunities. So, wow, 2 million. Um, now your what's your average video length? Because does that affect your monetization? If something is like you have short clips, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. sort of, that's probably what we're trying to do is just get that watch time, um, watch time up. Um, but yeah, I mean, so we're, cause I was putting out like people were getting a bit bummed that the full videos aren't on YouTube anymore, but it's just like, people just don't watch it. Like people don't watch the I, full I videos. don't watch full videos on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. I, I, so, I'll watch clips all day long though. Cause it's, yeah. the, you got the caption, you got the, the thumbnail that kind of sucks you in. Like I, I click and watch your, your clips all day long. I love that. Yeah. So that, that was like a big shift too, you know, like it's just, once I really was like, nah, we're just going to do the clips thing. We're going to sort of work it out. And yeah, it's just a process of figuring out what thumbnails work, figuring out the way that the titles and stuff work. And then, you know, you've got to build an audience. Like I'm a fan of your YouTube channel for you as much as the content. And I think that, you know, that just takes a long time to like build that kind of connection with the audience. Um, and you know like i mean dude for me personally like i've i've even taken a lot of like riding stuff out of your videos i still every single time i get on the bike i'm working on my technique and um you know so i think that there's just so much that goes into it more than even just posting the content it's like you've really got to be like a student of the game like what um you know really figure out like what adds value to people Mm mm-hmm yeah and it's tough too because for me at least any of my my dialogue was either training students which i can kind of use that personality and i do for the youtube stuff or it was interviews Mm. so it was a little bit tough for me to be completely myself on the videos, it was a little bit too scripted sounding. It was a little bit too like uptight in a way. Right. And now like I've really found my lane, so to speak, and like yeah, my rhythm and yeah. talking to the camera and engaging almost like as I'm talking, it almost is starting to feel like I'm talking directly to the, to your audience. audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. before it was like I was interviewing to a camera. Now, like I'm talking to my audience. You, yeah, and that makes I watch so back my much videos, sense. Mm-hmm, when I watch back my videos, I'm like, 
I note the the difference from 12 months ago to the last two three months of my videos it's it's pretty cool because they're actually I believe they're actually entertaining now where before I'd watch it I was like mm, yeah good information like you can learn a lot but the entertainment value I don't think was as high where now it's like I'm actually funny on camera sometimes like I it it's starting like I've found that rhythm yeah yeah it's cool. yeah man I, I do nah, I love it yeah no and I, I yeah I personally think you're doing a, a really good job and, and like yeah there is the that value thing that that you're adding as well to people and I think that yeah you've kind of there is a bunch of boxes that you've got to tick to be successful on YouTube um and that's like Jeff Walker you know what I mean like that dude adds value I watch his stuff and you know you can watch his race vlogs for the to to purely be a fan of him and how his racing's going and you don't really care what his results are you just sort of want to see him do well you want to hear what he says about it. he's real honest and then you know you do like these lap time videos that he does and the suspension tip videos that he does and it's like he's really adding value to people he's providing um like good looking footage it's entertaining so yeah i think um i think there there is definitely like this new wave and and for me i mean at the start i didn't really embrace like the whole moto thing as well i definitely didn't go as hard into it i kind of was like oh, i'll just i'll just want to do a general interest podcast and i mean i think mm-hmm. on youtube like 50 percent of the podcast that i do is non-motocross and 50 percent is motocross and supercross but on the youtube channel like i only post the moto shit um and for me i was do you think it's important to stick to that uh niche like as far as uh, algorithms and stuff go like if you stray from that does youtube kind of screw you a little bit yeah yeah pretty pretty much well not really like i just the audience doesn't give a fuck (laughs) you know like people are there for people are watching the those gypsy tales clips for uh cool supercross and motocross content and now i gotta worry that your do you worry that your ceiling is going to be capped too low because i get sometimes a little like i i love the trend that you and i are both on but where does that cap does it cap at a hundred thousand does it cap at half a million Mm. does it cap at a million i mean we we've seen deegan yeah i think he just hit a million um so i guess it is possible but also his channel their channel covers a pretty wide variety of stuff yeah (laughs) i'm just yeah i get concerned that i'll I'll hit that ceiling yeah i mean that that definitely is that but i think that the ceiling is pretty fucking high still like you're you know you're probably not going to end up with like millions of subscribers but i mean i feel like even at the level that that i'm at right now like i'm not milking that for what it's worth so i think that um the the ceiling probably at least in this is my headspace the ceiling probably isn't the problem the problem is probably milking that stone you know what i mean like getting the blood out of the stone for what it's worth because it's like you can grow and you can keep getting more and more and more and more views and then with that there'll there'll be like just this trail that follows of of income opportunities whether it's like adsense or or extra sponsorship or whatever but i feel like i feel like even if like let's say for the next 
we, we go up pretty much every month in views. But let's say for the next six months, then I just kept doing two mil. I'd, I would be able to make more out of that by providing um, better, you know, doing a better job with the content, better processes, better marketing, better sponsorship opportunities. Like, you know, so I think that the ceiling thing probably isn't as much of a worry as just making sure that like you're getting the most out of what you what you already have, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, and it is a constant grind because you're, you, mm. you can never get ahead. It seems right. No. It's like, as soon as you think you're ahead, you're like, Oh no, hang on a second. I got to get a video out tomorrow. Yeah. Um, it becomes a little bit of a grind in that sense, but at least for right now and having the extra hands and the extra help yeah. to take that load off it, um, it's, it's enjoyable. It's, it's, it keeps it fresh. It makes race day fun. It gives me yeah. another focus on race day Yeah, where some people are like, Oh, focus on your racing. Stop talking to that camera. I love talk. I, that keeps my mind where it needs to be. If I'm thinking yeah. about racing the whole time, I'm going to be a nervous wreck. Yeah, no, I don't need to so think true, about eh? the future that much. I know what to do. When that gate drops, I know what to do. I don't have to think about it for four hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That thinking about it's just gonna get get in the way of like what you're sort of doing. Oh, I and I am a professional overthinker. I'll sit there and just think and think <laughs> and think. I'm out there on the track thinking about everything. Yeah, I'm, nah. I'm, in, I'm in teacher mode all the time. That's the hard part. Is I I'm just always in teacher mode. I'm out there in the middle of the LCQ watching guys in front of me like, oh, he should have put his foot here. Mm, He should have done this. Literally in the the middle of a race. Yeah, you got to quiet. You got to quiet that shit down. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that the just to I guess to finish uh, on the um, the internet like the YouTube sort of stuff. Like we're we're definitely going to start putting a lot more. uh, I get like emphasis on we've got a second YouTube channel and I think that we're going to put all the full podcasts on that one um, and then do clips that are like non-moto because I think that, yeah, to your point, the non-motocross stuff that probably isn't really a ceiling there. Like you could kind of take that um, as big as you can. But I mean, honestly, for like my goal, I sort of started talking about and then we kind of veered off a little bit. But my goal, like, I didn't even really want to do the moto thing for a long time. Like I was just like, I'm going to build it exactly how I want it. And I'm not just going to focus on the motocross or whatever. But the thing is, is like, I actually, and I think that you'd probably would feel the same way. And Jeff would probably feel the same way. And the guys that are really doing well on YouTube is that like, I know for me, I get a lot of messages from people that say like, man, I've stopped racing completely. I'm in my thirties and like, I never watched Supercross and YouTube recommended your channel. And now I watch every single race. I just bought an 01 YZ250. Like, dude, I get that shit fucking constantly. And as soon as I started getting those messages coming in, I was like, oh dude, this sport has given you everything. Like everything you've ever done in your life has been through motocross my dad raced we grew up on bikes i've never had i've never not had a motorcycle in my shed my entire fucking life i traveled the world filming with motocross and now the gypsy tales thing so it's like as soon as i started seeing those messages i was just like all right this is what you do now to pay back the sport that's given you everything 
And, you know, when you realize the power of that YouTube algorithm and reaching those audiences and the fact that you can make new fans that buy new motorcycles and new gear and then buy tickets and support the industry like that to me is the goal and and um you know like that whole all the thing that you know with mathers and all the podcasts that are starting to come up now like i can see people changing like the, the media landscape the podcast landscape like people are doing better thumbnails now people are trying to do the whole titles thing people are people are doing that shit and i i've said it for years in the background and and i've kind of said it publicly as well like i look at the ufc like i do jiu-jitsu every single day that's like my shit and i watch the ufc i'm a huge fan of the ufc and i'm a fan of like that machine of the ufc and i'm a fan of the chael sonnens of the world that have their own podcasts and i'm a fan of mm-hmm. the um of the brendan shorbs and i'm a fan like i love brendan shorbs he's cool that whole like what they're doing like if the aerial hawani's like if you watch their first videos that looks like some math of shit you know like it does it's not doesn't look that cool it's not like the information's amazing but it's not presented in a way that makes you think that the sport is on like this high level and that was my whole goal with with the gypsy tales thing was like all right, I'm going to present this package of Supercross in like a super fucking legit studio, really high quality thumbnails, doing the fucking clickbait thing that gets a lot of people watching these videos, building up people that aren't necessarily like, like it's so easy to talk about Roxon and Cooper and you know, like that shit's easy. Like that's the fucking, that's the, that's the cream that you can go after. But it's like, how do we elevate like everyone else and, and you know, like the Jeff Walkers and like all of, like the stuff that you're doing, like how do we give everybody these kind of storylines that people can buy into and then present it in like this high quality way so that if you're a fan or like you're even just on the fringe, like you're not even really a fan, but you can click in because you're like, fuck, this looks really good. And then it just like slowly starts sucking people in. And so, yeah, once I started seeing that happening and getting those messages, I was like, damn, we could fucking all elevate this sport and we could just start looking like the UFC. All of these different commentators, these great podcasts, people from all over, writers starting their own shit, athletes doing their own thing. And then when you like you look from the outside in as a, you know, as a fucking manscaped or a black rifle coffee company. And it's like, fuck, there's some crazy, there's like a crazy audience here. Like this is a great looking sport. And the thing that I think a lot of people forget, like we talk about the sport struggling with sponsors and shit like that, but it's like, man, we have a great demographic, young male, good jobs. If you can afford to buy a motorcycle, like there's some good shit that is in this sport for, like brands and advertisers that aren't in moto and i think that yeah so as soon as i started seeing that i was like all right this is almost like this is almost like a duty that i have to try and use the skills that i've got to actually try and fucking lift the sport that gave me everything it's the it's got to be the future right i mean i i think we're we luckily have a little bit of a head start on it and i hope that i keep telling my camera guy cam too i'm like 
I just I want to get to a hundred thousand before everybody has a YouTube. Get me to a hundred thousand. We got to get there before yeah. everyone and their brother has a YouTube channel. Before Jet Lawrence gets a YouTube channel. Before all these guys create a YouTube channel. But that's that's going to be the future because think about I mean, and we're doing it right here. Like this stuff transcends. Yeah, I have people coming up to me at the races that seem to barely know what a dirt bike is or have just literally just gotten into the sport. Yeah. Barely know who a Roxon is or a Tomac. They could care less about them, but they somehow found me on YouTube. Yeah. And they're coming to my pit at the Supercross and now they're hooked on the sport. And that is what creates value for a sponsor. Yes. That creates more value than any result, any podium. Unless you're Kawasaki trying to sell Kawasaki's for Black Rifle Coffee, for anything else, that's what, again, I don't want to toot my own horn here, but that, I'm not saying me, but just what I'm doing is yeah, what yeah, creates yeah, yeah. the value. Yeah. And that's why I have the sponsors that I do. That's why I have Black Rifle hopping on board. That's why I have these that's why I was with Lululemon for the past four years. That's why I've been with all these really cool companies that everybody's like, hang on a second. How is AJ Cat and Zero getting this stuff? Yeah. And it's, it's a perfect storm for me of creating that media content, of doing the classes and being in front of the students. So that's killing two birds and one stone right there because I, the media content, all of, all of the content on YouTube, whatever the heck, that's the value for Black Rifle. They don't care about Supercross. They don't care about my even instructing stuff, but then the instructing stuff covers anything motocross related. Mm. EVS, give me a promo code for EVS. I'm going to get more people to buy EVS knee pads with that promo code than probably most guys, because guess what? I'm at class. I have these guys up on the stand. I go to put them in the attack position. Oh, hang on a second. You don't have knee pads on, dude. Hang on, take this 20% off, 30% off EVS. You need to get knee pads on your knees next time you ride. And six students, every single class, show up next one and they have EVS TP199 knee pads. <laughs> yeah, that's so you know? sick. And, and that's, that's the small stuff. But the, the, the content side of things, uh, that will unlock endless opportunities. And that, that's what will unlock big time stuff for the Malcolm Stewart's, the Ferrandis's like a rock Roxon has like that watch deal. Roxon has some cool stuff because he's Roxon. And right? he's got Steve Astafin. Yeah. That's helpful as well. So, but I'm trying to think I'm, I'm drawing a blank on names like a Plessinger, like a Mookie, like yeah. pretty much all of those guys there. There's, if they all just created a YouTube channel and, they, they they make enough money. What hire? I don't want to say this because I, I do want to get a little bit more of a head start before they do it. But <laughs> yeah, I was talking to Dino and I'm like, Dean, you make enough money, man. Hire somebody to be a full time film guy. And he already kind of has a good base on YouTube. He probably I'm, I guarantee he has way more subscribers than I do, even though he doesn't do it. Dude, his grandpa Earl video would Lawrence. pay would pay for a filmer just that just the monthly on that would pay for a filmer a hundred percent i mean if he started putting out consistent videos you know once or twice a week it that would pay for itself instantly 
yeah. instantly. He'd be making he'd be making a profit instantly. Not to mention building his his audience even more than it already is. The fact that more people aren't doing that doesn't make sense. Uh, unless this is the only thing I thought of. Unless their team or their manufacturer is saying uh uh-uh, uh or really limiting you know how like open they could be because for me yeah. I, i'm pretty censored kind of i mean I, I don't know i say stupid stuff sometimes i got myself in trouble on a podcast before but um i i kind of just say whatever and i don't know if those guys could do that or not yeah, but i don't even think you really have to like I don't think you have to be purposely controversial. Like, I don't really think I ever say that much controversial shit. Like, I just say how I think about stuff. And I think that I've probably got a unique lane. Like, the thing thing is, right, that I would say to guys like Dino, and and I said this that we just talked about it the other day, actually, about, you know, Dino's fucking perfect, man. Like, he could do his own thing and instantly be killing it. But there's like this sense of security that you have when you're just got like an independent artist essentially because you think about a motocross rider that rides for a team they're like a artist that's on a record label and they get told the producers that they have to use like the mechanics and they get told like the the gear that they've got to wear and and they you know it's like a very controlled environment but then like i look at myself for instance and i think about the same thing with like wygant uh, i mean mathis kind of feel like he's pretty much his own dude like he could he could tell everyone to fuck off and he'd be completely sweet um but it's like there's a there's a freedom in building your own platform and getting your own shit and like i think about for dean i mean i'm really good friends with dean we've been friends for over 10 years and i think about him and the weight that it he must feel of like keeping his ride imagine if you've got five hundred thousand fucking youtube subscribers you're putting out two videos a week that are getting 100k and you've got a community you're selling your own merch you're doing fuck a team (laughs) that's where i'm at that is where i'm at yeah they ain't gonna fire you if you're getting that level of promo for them so there's that and b if they fire you fuck a team again you know (laughs) i will say when you get so there's there's levels to it i'm i've gotten to a level to where it's almost like having fu money yeah but it's like i don't need a team i you know i could do whatever the heck i want i'm going to cancun tomorrow on my two-week break before atlanta supercross Everyone was asking me yesterday at the at the race, AJ, what are you doing? Where, where are you going to train on your two week break? Oh, I'm going to Cancun, man. See I'm you going guys. to fuck in Cancun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Cancun. So, but how cool is that? I could do yeah. whatever the heck I want, and that's yeah. awesome. The only thing you have to be careful of is that can bite you as far as racing, obviously, right? Because I find myself in situations when I use that to help with pressure because I can, yeah. I'll be sitting on the line sometimes and be overly nervous and I'll be like, you know what? Who cares? I make plenty of money. I don't need to, I don't even need the race. I could pull off right now. 
that can help or it can hurt you because sometimes I'm yes. out there in the middle of an LCQ and guys are cross jumping and stuffing me and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm going to mm-hmm. make $1,500 tonight for what? Like it's, it's dangerous, like headspace to navigate if that, if that makes sense. Right. Um, it's very easy to be, become complacent with that. Like if, if Dino got to that point, would that take away that fire and would Dino not mm. be Dino on the track anymore? Yeah. But see, I think, I, don't know. For, I think for Dino and like knowing Dino too, like I th- he puts a lot of pressure on himself. And I think a lot of that comes from like, he was a privateer a couple of years ago. Like we, we lost Dino mm. to factory teams and he did that. it on his own. Like he's seen the other side. And I, I think that he knows how hard that was. He knows that how hard that was in his family and you know like when you're on the you're on the husky program and you're in florida and you're doing that whole deal like i mean to stay on a team like that comes with so much weight and i think that that weight just wears on you if the results aren't there and you know there's only so far you can get by being like the nice dude you know with the team like at some point they're like hey like we've just we fucking love you but you're not getting the results so i i think that you are right. Like you can definitely get complacent and you can get a bit cocky in the, or like comfortable and knowing that you've kind of like, that's a crutch you can lean on. But it's like, man, if that takes the pressure off, like you just stressing on a ride constantly to where it's like, mm-hmm. and then it can be fun. Like you, it sounds like you're in a good place where you're like, Hey, I can go and I can have fun at these, at these races. Like you, you want to try, like you want to do good. I don't think that that, will kind of leave and i think that you know those doubts that you're having of like some dudes cross jumping you in the lcq i mean dino's probably getting that where it's like i'm only making 300 grand a year you know like i don't know what he's making but it's like i think if those thoughts enter your mind they'll enter your mind at any level yeah that's that's a good point um but yeah to just piggyback that thought this year each weekend, if I'm ranking it a one to 10 on a fun scale, I'm at a 10. That's I'm awesome. enjoying my day. I'm yeah. enjoying my fan interactions. I'm enjoying the heck out of free practice, out of time qualifying, out of the heat race, out of the LCQ. I'm loving it. Uh, rewind to 2014 when I was result-wise killing it, I was probably at a five on the mm. fun scale. Yeah. If that, probably even less. And what was that? I wasn't enjoying, say that again. And and what was that about? What Where was that? Those five points, where, where are you losing those five points back then? Oh, just stress of mm. like, I need to do this. I have to place here. If I don't finish in this spot, I'm off the whatever team I'm on. Or um, I don't know if it was just maybe all in my head, but it, it was just taken too seriously all the time. I wasn't really in the moment, I wasn't really that present. I was constantly anxious about the future and I didn't like that. I couldn't Mm. appreciate 2013, 2014. I, I had fourth place finishes, fifth place. I I was top 10, like crazy in main events. I barely remember any of it, like, because I wasn't present. I was just kind of going through the motions and a nervous wreck all the time because there was so much pressure put on me from the outside and from myself. It's not like that anymore. 
Mm. I show up at a race and I'm having a blast. I'm on the line, like joking around with guys. Like I'm cracking up with my mechanic. Like that's awesome. Yeah, and, dude. You know, to bring it full circle, that that freedom allows me to do that. Right. Yeah. 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 And man, it's like, there's so much to be said for that, like enjoying it. And, you know, like I said, now you really do add value. Like, man, since I started talking about you on the podcast, I have that many motherfuckers sending me your shit just constantly. Oh, did you see it? And, and I mean, Grant, I don't watch that much content. Like I pretty much don't watch anything these days. Um, so I'm not really watching a lot of people's videos and it's just like, man, people are just sending me all this shit constantly. I'm like, dude, I'm not really watching this stuff. I've got like way too much other shit to do, but there's like a lot of people that really enjoy what you do. And it's just like, do you get a lot of not- people, a lot of AJ haters? Cause I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of those floating around for some reason. I actually don't know. Uh, unless that's just AJ me. Haters. Is that for anybody? Like, do you have a lot of people that are in your inbox? Like blowing you up with hate really nah i don't really get it eh? because i just kind of don't give a fuck like i don't i don't like the shit that my mum says all the time and i love her so like how is somebody that's a complete stranger to me like i don't expect that people would like me or like everything that i say there's people that i love and i don't like all the shit they say yeah yeah i mean you certainly have to take it all with a grain of salt for sure. Mm. Um, I, I obviously, I know where a lot of this stuff stems from on my end, but, um, what, what, what do you think it is? Because I I haven't really encountered or or seen much of like the AJ. Oh, well I, um, man, when was it? Probably three years ago now I was on a forget. I'll just tell the story, man. I'll just tell the story. I gotta get, I gotta get my side of the story out there. You probably don't even know what I'm about to talk about. Remember the whole buttery situation? Oh, dude. What did you say about him? Because I... Yeah, 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 keep going. What did you say about him? <laughs> okay. So, because this bums me out. Because I, I, I really, truthfully, try to be so nice to everybody all the time. And I freaking dropped the ball on this one. So, I was on a friend of mine's podcast that I can only guess at this time maybe had 20 listeners. Yeah. This was a brand new podcast. Nobody was listening to this thing yet. I'm talking to him on the podcast, making eggs. I think I was taking my dog out for a walk. I'm like paying zero attention. The conversation gets brought up about, I want to state this as precisely as possible so I don't get in trouble again. The conversation comes up about riders, young kids, you know, age eight to 16 emulating the riders of today that they're seeing. So for me, like I said, James, uh, James Stewart, Jeremy McGrath, Kevin Windham, I would, I would like throw in a VHS and watch like, um, terra firma or crusty demons. Like that's, that's how I learned how to ride. Kids nowadays are going on Instagram and scrolling through and watching clips of guys just railing corners or hitting a jump. And, and th- like a lot of those guys, th- this is the whole statement I was trying to make. A lot of those guys aren't guys that you necessarily should be emulating your riding style after. And yeah, I, okay. I described a couple guys that 100% you should. I said Axel Hodges, unbelievable on a dirt bike. Technique, flawless, great rider. Emulate him. 
And then <laughs> I went on to state how buttery. I, what, I'm trying to think how I said it. I don't even want to say it again because I would probably get clipped and then taken out. I said that he sucked. Not only did <laughs> I say he sucked, but I also said his name. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. So buttery is his not name suck. not is he not is his name not out in public or something or you just no, said, did I, you say I mean, buttery I, or what like i mean his is name? like i i could have just no 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 i'm saying like i i said buttery yeah sucks. okay yeah yep, i yep. should have just said there's other guys out there that aren't so good i shouldn't have directly stated who it was and then i certainly shouldn't have used the adjective sucked um so then i go yeah he he just sucks you shouldn't emulate him and <sighs> it started. That was the worst thing talk. I could have said because he doesn't <gasps> suck. But when you watch him ride, he his technique isn't somebody that you should necessarily emulate. And that doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> his content is his content. It's great. He has the viewers that he has because he does a great job with what he does. He rides a dirt bike for fun. It doesn't matter if his technique is perfect. Yeah. Just to try to like protect myself as much as I can here. That doesn't matter. I was just using that to prove my point, which ultimately my point didn't matter. But I just described it absolutely terrible, like terribly. And the backlash from that was like nothing I've ever experienced. That's insane. I got, I, first of all, I forgot I said it because I wasn't paying attention, right? And yeah, yeah. Butter, Buttery, I don't even know his real name. He actually seems like a nice guy. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. Jeez, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sure I would get along with him just fine. Um, yeah, no, he's a he's a super nice dude. Seems it. Yeah. It's, he seems nice. Like, when he talks to people in interviews, he seems really respectful and actually, like, articulate. He's a and super nice. smart motherfucker. Yeah. So, <sighs> I freaking dropped the ball on that one. Forgot I did it. And then, like, a week later... Somebody call, I can't even remember who it was. They call me and they go, dude, what did you do? And I'm like, uh, what, what, ha what happened? They're like, go on Instagram. I click into Instagram and shit is hitting the fan. And I'm like, what? So I go to Buttery's page and it's a video of him riding. And then a long caption of uh, this professional rider, like in quotes, um, bashing me for just having fun on a dirt bike. He definitely like, he knew what he was doing with that, right? Yeah, yeah, Which, yeah, yeah. if he was given just that, if somebody maliciously grabbed that clip yeah, and just clipped the part where I said he sucks on a dirt bike, which is probably all he heard, yeah, right? If he heard it in context, he would have probably maybe understood a little bit more. Still didn't sound great, but maybe he would have understood a little bit better. He probably just heard that clip. He reposted that clip, posted this long caption to it, Cooper Webb. You name every top writer is commenting. Oh. What a tool! This, this, and that. I'm like, oh god, what did I do? And I'm pretty sure that was right after the James Stewart thing. I'm like, man, I was on top of the world, and then I just blow it. And the backlash and how aggressive his his people were. Yeah, brutal, yeah. brutal. This was three years ago. I'm still getting people commenting, get a clue. I'm still getting people commenting all of this stuff, <laughs> thinking I'm a terrible person. Get a it's clue. Like, holy, holy crap. Like, you, man, I learned, I certainly learned my lesson on that, but to circle back, I'm pretty sure that's where a lot of 
they hate comes from. And I think people think I'm a, I, I'm a dick because I don't know. I'm never, I would never ever maliciously say or do anything bad to anybody yeah. ever. But sometimes I have verbal diarrhea and something comes out of my mouth and it gets taken the wrong way. And I'm kind of like monotone in my delivery. I feel like I can come off as a know-it-all sometimes, which I really don't like. Like when I, I listen to myself sometimes and I feel like I just sound like a dick. Um, I just, I got to be careful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just part of growing up though, right? Like you're 27, like you're fucking young still. And if that was three years ago, you're 24. Like you don't know fucking anything at 24. Yeah, right. And I thought I knew everything at 24. But looking yeah. back at 24 at 27, I'm like, what an idiot. What an oh, idiot. yeah. I mean, and I'm 32. I'm sure by the time you get to 32, you'll be like, fuck, 27-year-old me didn't know shit. Uh-huh. But yeah, yeah I think... So, um, needless to say, I get, I, get a, I get some bad stuff in my inbox a lot of the time. Well, I'd agree. Like, even... I, I laugh sometimes. Like, some of the videos that I've, I've, like, watched where you're coaching dudes, you're, like, so fucking blunt to people. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, see? Exactly. Like, I, yeah. I got to be careful with that, too, because they'll come off and they'll be like, well, how'd I do? I'm like, well, that sucked. The and thing is, like, though, oh, man, shoot, like... Maybe I shouldn't have said that. I, yeah. I mean, I feel... I've got a bit of that in myself as well. There's so much shit I say on Supergross Companion, and I'm like, you're such a fucking idiot. Like, you should not be saying that shit. But... But, but the intent in my defense, is what should matter. You, the right? You never yeah, have malicious intent. Yeah, you say things that can be interpreted a certain way and maybe not sound completely perfect. But the intent is not malicious. Yeah, in my, and in then my I mind, think that's all that matters. I think too, like one of the things when I watch your shit and I see you being like that brutal with people, it's like, and I feel like the same thing with me. I've got a, I now have. A f- it's turned into a thing of me hating on Thor gear and it's just like <laughs> fuck that sucks I don't want to hate Thor gear Thor gear was like my favorite shit growing up I'm Australian Chad Reed like put two and two together that was the shit but you keep finding yourself talking badly about it by, oh like, by fuck, it's disgusting like some of the the new <laughs> shit that these dudes and like and it's on the podium every fucking weekend I don't want to hate Thor but I ain't gonna lie to people and it's like so when i to sort of circle back it's like when i hear you being so blunt with someone i'm like well at least you know when he says you did good you fucking probably did mhm that's true yeah and i think there's i think that's a good way to be for the most part it's just in the in 2021 it, unfortunately you got to be a little careful well a little careful you would, but it's would be know, easy to it would be easy to hate on you because you're like the pioneer of what you're doing. You know, like you're a 20th place guy, right? You know what I mean? Like you're not, not making mains in the 450 class, which as we've discovered is not a fucking easy thing to do. So that's not a problem, but it's like, you've got this massive YouTube channel. You've got a huge audience. You're putting yourself out there in a big way. uh, And it's not like you're, you know, one of the top guys in the sport and it's easy for people to come after you. And I think it, it was the same. That's what we sort of saw at the start of uh, this year is like, it was easy for people to come after me. Like I'm doing something completely different. So easy to like, to, I guess like try and 
discredit you based on not really having all the information. That's what people tried to do. And it's fucking easy. Like, so I think that, yeah, going back three years ago, you're going on a podcast and you've got this YouTube channel, you're doing your own thing. You're pretty blunt in the way that you talk to people. It's just easy. It's just easy to hate. So there is, that is like a recipe there, but man, like I just think that as time goes on, yeah, it's just going to be a completely different, different story for you. Yeah. And you wonder where that stems from, from, from people, man. I always wonder, like some of the comments that I read are so far out of left field. You just have to wonder. Like YouTube comments? Yeah. Like what type of headspace? Who is that person? Like who, who is that person that's sitting behind their computer screen and writing some of the terrible, terrible things that they're doing? Even forget about me. Like when Dino did what he did to, um, Oh, right. Yeah. That pissed me off that one. Did, you know, could, could Dino have handled that situation better on the track? A hundred, obviously, but does he deserve to die? (laughs) Does he deserve like all of the things that people were saying? Uh, no, man, I, I think what happens is that you get to a certain point and people can't make the connection between that it's a human being on the other yeah, side of the screen. Yeah. yeah. It's a human being. Dean Wilson is a human being. He's not just a professional dirt bike rider. He is and an a actual fucking human good being that had, right. That has feelings that can get sad, that can read a comment and be like, Oh man, that sucks. That was mean. And that stuff affects you as much as all of us can say, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I get a million of those a day. It doesn't affect me. I'll tell you right now, when I'm reading through my YouTube comments, I catch myself and I'm very conscious about this. When I'm reading through comments, I scroll quickly through the ones that are nice. AJ, your stuff is awesome. AJ, great job. You look great out there. I'm just scrolling by it and not even appreciating it sometimes. I catch myself doing that. And then I, I catch one where it's a longer sentence and I start to read. And I'm like, this mother effort. And I'm like, then I go to respond and then I delete it. And I'm, or, or then I don't even send it. And I'm like, why is that getting my attention? Mm. And all of the nice things aren't. I think that so, there's, uh, I think there's something primal going on there, man. I think it's like a, uh, we have just a, inbuilt negativity bias because the things that are negative like essentially your subconscious mind is just trying to keep you alive (laughs) and we just we live in a weird world now where like we're not really under threat of survival and i think that that part of us still exists so anything that is negative falls into that kind of survival instinct so like the positive shit is just like does it that's not there's no paying attention to positivity is like not really going to help you survive. What's going to help you survive is like excluding negativity. And just because we, we don't really have like an actual survival need these days, like you, you reading YouTube comments, like there's no, there's (laughs) nothing intrinsic to your survival in that, in that, but those same wheels are turning to where like you pay attention to the negative, like a stick or a snake. Like if you see a fucking stick, on the ground you're like wait is that a snake and then you're really checking that shit out whereas if you're seeing a flower you don't give a fuck about a flower that's an interesting way to look at that i think i think you're right um yeah because it's and i am very 
very conscious about it because I, I mm. tried to keep everything on and not just in YouTube comments, but any part of my life as positive and optimistic as possible. So, and I'm, I'm very, um, intentional about that. I'm not just like lottie dying around and like hoping that good things happen. Like I'm just very, I'm very intentional with where my energy is and, and all of that. And even as conscious as I am about it, like you mm. were just saying instinctively, it just hang on a second. What did this person say? Hold on a second. Mm. And I want, I, I'm trying, I'm doing a, a good job. I think of breaking the habit because a- anytime I do press send, because I just want to like make the person look foolish. Yeah. Um, I always feel badly about it because I'm like, uh, then as soon as I hit send, I'm like, oh man, what I just said was so mean. And like this person probably is, is sad to begin with to be sending a message, message like that in the first place. And then u- usually if I do hit send and respond back, I'll go back five minutes later and then delete it. Cause I'm like, Oh, I just, I don't want to make that person's day any worse. That's how I look at it. Yeah. Cause I go, oh, a- I want to be funny here and respond back and then make them feel a little bit bad about themselves. And as soon as I hit send, I'm like, Mm-mm, I can't do that. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to hurt that person. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just like a weird thing. Like, I mean, I'll reply to dumb shit it, almost as like a troll. Like we posted this thing about Aaron Plessinger the other day like how he's kind of like the supercross cowboy just you know building up that brand that he's got going on and then someone like someone wrote this massive comment and it started with like ap hasn't done shit since loretta's and then like i didn't even read the rest of the comment it was like a huge paragraph and then i just wrote back i was like bruh you lost me at aaron plessinger hasn't done shit since loretta's like that's it i'm done you know but it's like you don't need to rip that person down but I just reply to the comment as a funny thing of like, okay, man, you're off the mark here. I stopped listening. But yeah, I mean, yeah. dude, I've got to the point where I'm just pretty much like ruthless business mode with it. Now where I'm like, I just see it as engagement. I just could not give a fuck. But I think that there's a point where negative comments are good. If like the ones that really hurt are the ones that they're right. And you know, like I have the, there's a video the hard thing with the clips is that there might be a clip that I post from this podcast where I'm fucking talking for most of it. And then if you don't have the context that this was a full three hour deal that we did and over the course of that three hours, AJ spoke way more than me. But if I post one clip where you say like three sentences and I fucking talk for five minutes, people are like, Jesus, this guy doesn't ever let his guests talk. And you're like, well, you just don't really have the context, you know, but there's like there's this one video with chad where i'm like kind of arguing with him almost and like cutting in and and it's like people would just fucking ripped me dude like three thousand comments of just like complete hate and then they're well, kind of right I, there, there's there's a little bit of weight to that because if, if you have three if you if you have three thousand comments kind of leaning one direction it may not be as extreme yeah as those comments are but you could reflect and be like Okay, maybe I could have exactly. done this slightly different. Yeah, right? yeah. If you have the exactly. one rogue comment, that's not that's not going to help you out. But if you if you have a bunch kind of saying the same thing and maybe in a mean way or or whatever, yeah, there could definitely be some truth to that. Now, are you are you like reading the the positive? What's your dog's name? Hurley and Hurley needs to shut. Curly. Hang on, Hurley. Hurley, like the oh, Hurley. Hang on, I just got to close this door real quick. <laughs>
Big as, bad as dog I'm, dog. As I'm, as I'm sipping out of my mug that says dog dad. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a dork. Um, oh, what, what were we, what were you just asking? Oh, the positives. Um, fuck. I don't know. If like, I, are you responding to people's nice comments and stuff or are you just posting and then you're out of there? Oh, uh, I'll do, um, I just do it from like the YouTube, the creator studio. Like I'll look at the comments and then I'll just kind of refresh it and reply to shit. Like, cause I do, I, there, there's a real big value to the community. Like people want to be a part of the community and i think that that like i don't want to be the kind of guy that just like ignores people and thinks like i'll post a video and just fucking dip and then go do my life like the podcast is my life um so yeah i do try and respond and shit but i i feel like it doesn't doesn't really like hit me it doesn't make i don't really feel good from it like i've tried to disconnect from like a good feeling like I, I don't want to read positive comments to make myself feel positive i just want to reply to make them feel good about sending it to me because i just don't really yeah. i don't really want to i don't want my any validation to come from people liking it the comments that i really really like are the comments where people are getting into the sport that's my that's the one like and the comments where people say they bought books because I talk about books fucking heaps. And not so much on the Moto podcast, but like on the other ones that I do with a lot of other guests, like I'll really mm-hmm. talk a lot about the different books I've read and, and different things like that. So like pretty much the best YouTube or the best comments I could get on socials or uh, YouTube. Uh, I wasn't a fan of Supercross and I just bought a new bike or I just bought a book you recommended. They're the, they're the ones that actually make me feel good. Everything else I'll just try and re- respond to to make the other person feel good and a part of like the community that we've got going on, you know? Do you have any sort of um, community like a Patreon or something like that where you have exclusive content and you have like even a tighter knit community? Uh, I, I started the Patreon, but I just couldn't really commit to doing it all just because I was by myself at that point. But I feel like it mm-hmm. probably would be a good thing to, to start doing again. Just, just time, yeah, I, like if you can do it. I would consider it. Yeah. Um, it, so let's see. I, I started it, I don't know, maybe six months ago or so. Oh, so you do Patreon? I have, yeah, I have 533 patrons. Wow. Um, just just two dollars a month. Some people do more. Um, so you, it's a few. It's a few thousand dollars a month already. That's and awesome. And the way I have it structured is that I'll, I'll put up posts with. Oh shoot, my camera just died. Oh cool. Should just uh, re- put a new battery in and then just press record again. Yeah, we'll okay. just break for a sec. Good. Yeah, a little little halftime break. That's perfect. Hey, by um, the way, don't want to jinx it, but uh, this is going really smoothly so far. Like you haven't skipped or cut out or anything yet. Nah, it's it's good. This system that we've got, and dude, like the the US studio is going to be my, the Cali studio money. Well, uh, if if I'm welcome, I want to come back, and I'll have to fly there and, and make it happen. Oh, dude, yeah. If you if you go to California at all, like if you're there for testing, or just literally tell me, and then just jump on. Cause I get jealous. Is uh, is Sleater living out there now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sleater's in Gold Coast now. Cause he's always on with you, and I'm like, man, I, I want to shoot the shit with him on and be on there and do that type of stuff. It's well, fun. I don't know, especially like the race breakdown stuff. 
Yeah, man. I've been... Dude, Supercross Companion's, like, fucking nightmare. Like, it's honestly... Just, like, the commitment. We skipped yesterday, which sucks, because yesterday's race was fucking insane. But, um... But yeah, like man, every Sunday really, yeah, like it's just the biggest process, and then you got to get it on iTunes. The craziest thing about Supercross Companion, dude, so many fucking people listen to it on iTunes. It's insane. Do you watch the race live, or do you guys all like do a truce to not watch it and then watch it after? Nah, so we all watch it live. So it's playing oh, on Peacock TV, and then uh, we stream it live on youtube we've got like 600 700 people in the chat room like on the live chat with us while we're doing it the live chats become like the most fun part of the whole deal i wish there was a way for i'm sure there is I, how cool would it be if like you, i was able to call in or something after my heat you race or, or something Dude, and then could. just update you guys on the track conditions and like tell you 100%. what to look out for yeah do that 100 percent yeah, hey, I'm in because I feel like that that'd be cool, and for the listeners to like, and for you guys even to have a a, a certain perspective on on what's going on. Yeah, dude, this we should weekend's definitely track do that. was sick, though. Yeah, do it. I mean, whatever. If I need to buy something or whatever, I'll do it. I think that'd be sick. Yeah, that'd be um, epic. Yeah, what do you what do you think of the track this weekend? It was a good by, track. By far the best track we've had yet, and I really? think everybody realizes that. So why? Why can't Dirtworks recognize that everybody's saying that and all the riders agree on that and then make more tracks like similar to that? Long lanes, a lot of big 180 bull turns, huge rhythms that created a ton of rhythm opportunities, a long set of big whoops that didn't turn into jumpers right away, a long start with a 180 turn that made for a fair first corner. Everything about that track, the characteristics, was makes for a good racetrack. Where I, we've had two good racetracks this year, maybe three. Really? All of the rest, yeah, the rest have been terrible. Like the whoops have been built so that everybody's jumping right off the bat, which I'm going to sound like a complainer, but in my opinion, that's not Supercross. Like Supercross, I think we should be skimming. If if they're going to be jumping through whoops right off the beginning, I get it. Halfway through a main event when it's getting out of control and you got to just figure your way out through there, fine. Start jumping. But if we're jumping from the first free practice, just put a freaking rhythm section there. Why is there even a set of whoops? Yeah, Whoops should be skimmed until they break down. And this is very, like, subject. that's subjective. That's an opinion. Um but that's just how I feel. And then also when you have like the tight 90 degree turns and there's a bend and the rhythms that are s- simple. And I don't want to confuse your listeners by saying simple because they're not simple. But when when you can't create options and when the top mm. 40 guys are doing everything, that, that doesn't make for a, a great racetrack. This weekend was gnarly. You would have got a kick. If you had been there and watched... 450A group and 250A group, first free practice. I have never seen anything like it. Nobody jumped anything. Really? McAdoo tried, McAdoo tried one rhythm, overshot it, didn't try it again. Um, in the 450, I saw like two guys jump one of the options. What you saw in the main event and in the heat race, nobody jumped any of that in free practice. 
and barely any of the guys jumped in first time qualifier. Well, wow, it was that's really awesome. I was watching dude, usually I watch uh 250A and 450A and I formulate my game plan based on that. I watched those two practices and I'm like, what do I do? What am I gonna do? <laughs> like <laughs> am I just gonna be going double, double, double around this entire track? I didn't know what the heck was gonna happen. And that's sick. Like that's super cross. That's technical. I think that's cool. Yeah, man, this this was uh it sucks that we didn't do Supercross Companion because man, I just I absolutely loved watching racing this weekend. Man, that the four fifty main event from this weekend was one of I think the most technical and clinical main events I've ever seen. Those four dudes like I'm bummed Sexton I'm bummed Sexton wasn't up there because after the 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 speed he had in the heat he could have been another uh, cat amongst the pigeons but the the Eli Tomac Barsha battle the way that Eli was putting pressure on Webb and then that put uh, brought them up onto the back of Kenny who was like out of there and then the way that Coop was able to pass Kenny like Jesus, that main event had everything, and it had everything to do with the track. It did, and did so. TV did justice of how good of a race that top four Mate, group was. Then, yeah, yeah, it was incredible. Like it was a, it, it was such a good racing experience, or like viewing. Experience. Nobody messed up. Nobody messed up. The top four guys rode such a flawless race. It, it Except was hard for, Eli for me to when even he hit that. Eli hit that bail after the finish. That was like the only mistake anyone made. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. That was a pretty big mistake too. Yeah. Um, other than that, not a single mistake. I, maybe Roxon messed up the sand a couple laps. I think I, Webb was a little bit cleaner in the sand, but barely. Mm. Um, everywhere else, that was a flawless race from those four guys. And it was like watching that in the stands, it was suspenseful because y- you would – uh, Tomac would put pressure on Webb and then they would catch like the pressure would create it would just close the gap yeah even more it, it was just insane I mean the level of riding it's I don't know how they go that fast that long mm. when you watch a main event it feels like forever yeah, it is they're it's just so knowledge. <laughs> They're just riding at a ridiculous level for so long and not messing up and having somebody on your freaking butt the whole time. Those dudes deserve every penny they make and then some. It's just like, that is so next level. Yeah, dude. It's crazy, man. I, like, um, I fucking, I just don't want to risk being a name dropper, but I just think it's so sick in terms of the sport fuck i didn't even i'm trying to think if i can yeah there's like there's guys that text me from like formula one from moto gp like that are just hardcore supercross fans like hectic hectic every single weekend we're in we're texting about the supercross races and these are dudes that are like at the moto gp at the fort like in Bahrain doing fucking you know formula one testing and they're by their phone watching supercross i'm not sure that people in supercross have perspective of how respected these athletes are and i like that it was one thing i never knew when i started the podcast 
I, that I would have all of these guys reaching out just as like these hardcore fans of these riders. And it's just like, I yeah, I don't think the average Supercross fan understands how loved and adored these guys are by the best athletes in the world especially like the mo- the top tier motorsport guys and i think like that's one thing whenever i'm like down on the industry or i'm like fucking you know like i wish it was like this i wish it was like that i just think i'm like if those guys that are making millions and millions and millions of dollars and if they're looking at our dudes like fuck they're elite like they are top level at some point if we keep doing it right they're gonna catch up yeah and that's cool that's actually really cool to hear too i, I, I don't think deserved, people know dude it's deserved like the the level that it takes to compete like those top four guys competed on saturday even for me you know we'll just call me i'm a i'm a 28th place 450 supercross guy right now I ride the track at a pretty high level. I feel like, I mean, I watch video of myself. I watch GoPro stuff. I'm like, Oh, I'm going pretty good. Yeah. The, the, the speed, all of it, the speed that they're riding is crazy. The obstacles, especially in this track that they're jumping lap after lap after lap as the track is deteriorating. Nonetheless. Yeah. Is terrifying. The fitness required to ride a 450, which for those of you that have never ridden a 450, they're freaking rocket ships. And these guys are 160 pounds. It barely feels them on it. <laughs> For 20 minutes, that it's just like, I was telling you earlier in the podcast, two laps into that heat race, I was exhausted. And I am in good shape for for an athlete, for a professional athlete, I'm in good shape and two laps into a heat race. What is that? Uh, two minutes? Two and a half minutes, yeah. <coughs> I can barely even keep going. And these guys are riding that pace for 21 minutes, whatever it is. And then, and then let's add already. in, and then let's add in the race craft. Let's add in the personal issues. Let's add in the team pressures. Let's add in the championship points. Let's add in all of those factors. Like if you look at, if you look at, let's say just those four dudes, the fucking storylines that are available for us to pick apart, Cooper Webb and Ken Roxon, they've got personal shit that runs deep as fuck. They've both ended each other's seasons before. Cooper Webb has made a habit of ruining Ken Roxon's main events. You know, you, you, you add in all of these personal storylines. You, you add in like the, the Tomac and Barsha thing. There's probably not, not a dude out there that Eli Tomac dislikes more than Barsha in terms of, you know, a competitor. Like he seems at times scared to even ride with Barsha, you know? So yeah, it's scared like... scared to pass him sometimes. F- for sure he is. And for good reason. Um, yeah, although he but, did a good job of passing him this weekend. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, that... I think um I think Bash has just done a good job this season just in general. Um I don't think he's made many kind of questionable passes at all this year. Um but yeah, I mean it's like 
all of what you just said in terms of the physical demands that are on these guys. And now let's add in all the other shit that definitely comes into play. And it's like, how? How? How do you do it? How can you motherfuckers do what you do and do it every single weekend? It is absolutely mind-boggling when you get into the meta of it. Man, it is. It is, and it's a whole different level. It is a whole... Because I'm speaking from the perspective of a 28th place 450 supercross rider that's no slouch necessarily and i'm i'm saying that i can't even comprehend that never mind the layman viewer that (laughs) maybe can ride a dirt bike decent you know like it's not it's a different planet yeah the the head the the mind the mindset and the mental game required and the fractions. So like a, a good example even is when uh, Webb passed Roxon and then Roxon charged around the turn after the finish and made the pass back. Yeah. The, the mindset there versus two corners later, the turn before the whoops, there was a mindset shift right there. And that's why Webb made the pass. Webb didn't make the pass because he was faster in that section. Webb made that pass in that specific moment because he decided he wanted it 1% more than Roxanne did. 100%. And that was such an obvious sign of it because in the turn, so the turn before the rhythm, Cooper drove it in. And by the way, the racing was really clean. Like they could have cleaned each other out multiple times. Uh, Cooper drove it in. Roxon stuck with it. They went down the rhythm side by side. If you're on the inside of the rhythm section and you have a guy parallel to you and pretty much, you know, completely side by side, you own the turn. You can do whatever you want. You can decide to stop short. You can decide to run them high. You just play off of what they're doing. If they think they're going to cut down, like what hmm, Sexton you hit the did to Coop, like what Sexton did in the heat. Yeah, you have total control. If they go high, you run them high. If they want to cut down, you slam the brakes so they can't cut down. Roxon just drove up high, which was a really odd move. Roxon should have stayed tight and forced uh, forced Webb to have to ride high. And then if he needed to, he could have made the decision to ride high. So that right there told me that he was kind of like a little bit okay with Webb going by. Then... That pass through the whoops was the fastest that Webb hit the whoops that entire race. And it was because Webb knew and wanted, like he was going to make that pass right then and there. Roxon was faster than Webb in the whoops all day long and probably always will be faster than Webb in the whoops. But Webb hit him just that one time that fast because he decided in here that he was going to make that pass. And Roxon was just kind of like, hmm, okay. And that's the difference. That's, that's why, and I hate, I hate to say this because I'm such a, I'm a fan of all these guys because I just respect their ability. Yeah. I want to see Roxon win the championship just because, just because this Webb's going to win the championship. Unless something catastrophic happens, Webb 
has got it a little bit more up here. Not to say Roxon is a head case because a lot of people call him a head case. I don't know if I would go that far by any means, but I think that Webb is that one step above. Yeah. And it's obvious, right? He doesn't get shook in any situation where you, you can see Roxon, uh, yeah, you can see Roxon a little hesitant in certain situations. That's why yep. those last lap passes happen. Those last lap passes happen because Roxon starts thinking, just get me to this darn finish line. Don't mess up. Don't mess up. Don't mess up. And he starts messing up. I don't know mm. if the average person viewing can watch those little mistakes, but that's why Webb closes in on those last laps because Webb's like, I'm going to get this guy no matter what. And he's charging that last lap with a completely different mindset. And that's the only difference. It's riding aggressive and, and attacking for all you got versus playing it safe and trying not to mess up. Mm. Trying not to mess up will always make you mess up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, a hundred percent, man. The um, I, I've I've I like both of those dudes. I'm definitely a lot closer with Kenny. Like it, there's. I mean, I said it on here before, but there's a point in where I was living in America where Kenny was one of my best mates. Like we were hanging out constantly. I would love nothing more than to see him win this championship. I've had a lot of fun times with Coop as well, but man, I really think that I said it on the Supercross companion. Arlington one was a must win race for Ken. If he didn't win that race, then he wasn't winning the title. And Arlington two, Arlington three. I just don't know. I fuck. I feel like I've got it regardless of like any personal feelings. I feel like I have to stick the, the shitty Australian doesn't go to the races. Analyst in me said that Arlington one was the race that, that Kenny had to win. Yeah. And I don't even, I wouldn't even say he had to win it, but he had to do something assertive and dominant, you know, like Mm. if he had led it and then just like, had a freak crash or something and didn't win it still would have been a win in the in the mental yeah. game category but to just be out i'm trying to think of the good appropriate adjective here but to kind of just be outclassed three races in a row like that it's got to be you can see it being a little bit defeating mm. right where i i feel like when roxon swept indy i don't think it was as defeating as this is as this sweep is, this seems, um, this just seems like a a bigger shift to me. It seems like the nail in the coffin. I don't, uh, yeah, but there's a lot of racing left. So who freaking knows? I don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, anything could happen. That's why we love the sport, right? That is true. We, Um, we We can go out in Atlanta and somebody could crash in the web could tip over in the first turn and get a seventh. And the next thing you know, things shift all over again we're having different conversation after atlanta won yeah the thing is though that like webb didn't have it all his own way for most of the season it's just been like this like i mean i heard a bunch of shit that i won't say on here but there's like a lot of fucked up shit that coop was kind of dealing with at the start of the season like real big shit whereas if he wasn't if he didn't come good to the point where he is now then like that's a huge talking point but lo and behold he figures it out and it comes good and now he's leading the the championship again you know but it's like it really it just 
he just seems like no matter what happens, man, no matter what's going on behind the scenes, no matter what is going on with the bike, no, once he gets any kind of confidence, it's over, dude. Like, it's fucking over. And that is, that's a crazy athlete. It's so, it's, confidence is such a weird and delicate thing. I wonder how he was raised, like, very specifically how he was raised and mm. how he was treated by, like, his dad or his, whoever he was surrounded with at a really young age. Mm. Because I don't think, I think to a certain extent you're born with some of that, but I, I think most of it is, how, like, what you're surrounded by and your upbringing, right? Yeah. Like, if I, when we have a kid and they decide to ride, I'm, I hope they don't, but if they do, I'm going to have them in with a mental coach and like a hypnotist right off the bat. And I want to make yeah. it so that when you're off the bike, when your helmet isn't on, you are a, the most giving selfless person. You would do anything for anybody. And as soon as your helmet goes on, you're, you would kill the win. You would do anything to win. Yeah. If you train that mindset from when you're young enough, a literal switch can go off in your brain to when you put your helmet on, it, something can trigger and you could believe that you're the baddest dude to ever touch a dirt bike. If you're being told that it's like Mike Tyson, if you're being told that from yeah. the time you're three years old, that's all you're going to know. And I, I think these guys had to have been to a certain extent, maybe not that specifically, but to a certain extent to believe that right from the get go. I always blame, like not blame. I always say I set my bar too low from, mm. I was five years old. If you had asked me what I, I have a kindergarten project when I was in school. Um, it was, what, what do we want to be when we grow up? And I drew a picture I still have it to this day. I drew a picture of a dirt bike, even though you could barely tell it was a dirt bike. And I wrote, I want to be a pro dirt bike rider. And it was, that was always the goal was to be a pro dirt bike rider. But it was never, you know I want to be world champion. Do you know what Eli Tomac and Cooper Webb and Justin Barsha and Ken Roxon, what their goal was? Their goal wasn't to be a pro dirt bike rider. It was to be the best dirt bike rider. Yeah. And they had that goal from five years old, just like I did. When I turned 16 years old and I turned pro, my dad took a step back. The pressure disappeared from my dad where it went from win, win, win to, oh, good job, AJ, you made it. Mm. And it was instant complacency as soon as I was 16 years old because that mind, and, and when you're 16, 17, 18, 19, you can't fake it till you make it as easy as you could when you were five years old. You, you tell a five-year-old, something over and over and over, they're going to, they're going to believe it. Yeah. Like at that point, you couldn't trick me at that point to say that I was going to be the best dirt bike rider ever. Cause I just, just simply didn't believe it. Yeah. Does that yeah, make sense? So, yeah. No, a hundred percent. I think too, with, um, if you go back through history as well in especially super, like we only have to look at motocross and supercross. So you look at Villapoto, four-time Supercross champion, was the bridesmaid to Michael Essie forever and just turned into a gritty fucking dog because he wasn't the star and he was getting whooped by this dude constantly and believed the hype and it was like 
almost no one give a fuck about Ryan Villapoto. And then here comes this dude, completely kind of, you know, from obscurity, and then just figures it out when it counts. And then he's he's just got this, like, killer, killer instinct. And, you know, it's like he wasn't as talented. He wasn't as good as Alessi. And it's like inside, he would have, like, the mental shit he would have told himself uh, to beat Alessi. He's actually doing the podcast soon, so I'm pretty excited to talk about him with it. But it's like, uh, imagine... RV uh, RV. But oh, cool. imagine, imagine the, the shit... Like, just to line up every year at Loretta's, imagine the shit that RV would have had to tell himself. Like, the internal conversations. Like, I can, I can beat this guy. i got to beat this guy. Like, the want and desire that that would have created in RV to where then, like, you get to the pros and it's like you are so full of this, like, burning desire to beat this guy. And now you can apply that same thing to Coop and AC. Coop got smoked by AC forever. And then, you know, you get into the pros and like, here's this guy that just has this like killer instinct. And, and if you're a, if you're a guy, right, you think about the position that you're in. So if you're a lessee and you've won everything as an amateur, think about the mindset that you've got going into pros. You're now a small fish in a big pond and like all you've ever done is win. Winning's the only thing that's an option anything less is going to feel like a massive letdown and then like but then if you're like if you were talking about the alessi example if you're rv it's not like you were the dude you weren't always winning but the fact that you kept showing up and you kept trying there's something internal there that is going on and then you get to the pros and it's like you're not expected to win you don't have to win but you've just spent this lifetime cultivating this like mental fortitude to get yourself to the line and have a crack even when you're not the guy and it's like there's no pressure on you at that point and I think that that's sort of the same for Coop you know like he come into the pros and it's been his whole life getting beat by AC and it's like there's obviously this desire that gets created where it's like if you're still going to the start line you still want to win like you 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 got there without being the dude like you got there without winning everything so there's something there must be something to that to that then leads itself into the pros and like and then if you're coop you can go like ah fuck loretta's doesn't even matter man like i'm just gonna oh i can win as a pro i can win as a pro like the you can kind of like palm off your amateur career as like it doesn't really matter whereas like guys like ac and alessi it's like it it's that was their world like they were the best I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think all of those guys' vision was w- were the same, though, in that they wanted to be the best no matter what. And yeah. being a guy like Coop, uh, being a guy like RV, being a guy like Dungey, that's even more difficult, like you just said, to to still keep the vision. Well, you're just the results aren't going the way you want them to and you're getting beat over and over again by either the same guy or you're just like in Dungy's situation just being a top three, top five guy and not winning but still believing that you mm-hmm. want to be one of the greatest to ever do it. Um, I think if, if anything, that just probably supports my point of these guys have something from that young age to where they believe it no matter what. Yeah. 
Yeah, to, no, to, I don't know. I, but it, it's so weird. It's so weird because then look at a guy like uh, AP. Look at Plessinger. He's had a couple tough years. And going from a, a dude in 250s winning, did he win outdoors and supercross in one year? I can't. Wait, Ronan. Did AP win a Supercross title and then the motocross title in the same year? Or did he just win two motocross back-to-back? He, yeah, he did. He did win. Fuck yeah. Wait, Ronan. You're so, a G, bro. Yeah, so he did. He won Supercross and motocross in the same year. Imagine going from that guy to then spending a couple of years in 450, like really struggling to get the results. And then as soon as he has... What what came first? The good heat race. Did he get a heat race win and then yeah, got the main event finish? Yeah, so he won the heat. I'm pretty sure he won the heat race at Daytona and then got second. And then he went and won the heat race again the next weekend. And now all of a sudden, boom, he's right into a consistent, pretty much, I think, consistent top five guy. Yeah, and he was, he was I hired him for a school, weekend. so he'll be he'll be doing a class with me in a couple of weeks. Um, but I went up and, and, and said, I was like, dude, I love seeing, like, you're back. I'm like, yeah. all it took was one race. Isn't that funny how that works? All it took was one race, and then all of a sudden, boom, I believe again. Yeah. Yeah, and dude, imagine, so like what you just said about AP, think about Coop's fucking first two years on a 450. What? Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of that too, I think, was was technique stuff, or not a lot of it, good bit of it, right? Mm-hmm. His technique changed quite a bit, but that takes so much mental fortitude to to leave there's a lot of races even if it's just one bad season that's 17 supercross rounds and mm. 12 outdoor rounds 12 outdoors yeah that is a lot of racing that is a lot of times to fly into a race leave disappointed try wicked hard all over again all week long fly to a race be disappointed again mm. for a year and for coop that was two years in a row for ap that's two years in a row Mm. And then all of a sudden to have that mindset shift. Um, it's cool to see. I love seeing that happen to guys too, because I know how hard everybody works and it just makes me happy. Like seeing him, seeing uh Plessinger all of a sudden start to do well again. I, I'm just like, I'm so pumped for him. Yeah. Cause these guys no, work to- their butts off. Totally, totally agree. What, um, what do you see in, in, in Coop's technique? Because, I I personally do think Feet. you're one of the best coaches. Um, I I work a lot with um, Townley. Like Townley's one of my really good friends. He's a fucking mm-hmm. brilliant coach as well. Um, and, oh, is he? Oh, dude, man, his you wait till you see his son ride. His kid is insane. Um, and so I think we're gonna see. Yeah, Levi Levi Townley is going to be uh, him and How Danger old is Boy. He? I think he's uh, is he Danger 14? Boy's age? Is he? I think he's a little oh, bit wow. younger, but uh, yeah, I think that we're gonna see a we're gonna see a crop of uh, pretty epic talent in, that are there around that age, you know. But um, but so to the what you say and, and Townley say are quite similar. Like I think you guys have um, a lot of good points, and I think a lot of the really good coaches that are around at the moment. I think Rhino as well. Like Rhino's got some some really cool and interesting takes on on things, and a lot of it's quite similar um, positioning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the delivery and the way that you speak to each rider, I think that's kind of what makes a really great coach. Like not just what you're teaching. Um, Thank but you. That's how, the magic. How, that's the hard part. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you've you've got to translate that information. 
Um, but yeah, so like, what do you see in Coop? So, and Townley's a legend, by the way. I raced that guy at Manjimup. Um, oh, have you done Manjimup? 20, yeah, twice. Dude, I got. Sick. I think I got third. Yeah, uh, Townley beat me. And yeah. then... Uh, what year was that Kurt been? 2012? 2014. Okay. 2014. Yeah, I remember being... I was fast, but that track beat me up. Manji gets rough. Rough. I'm going to do it this year. I want to go back. So, Willie, the promoter, um, I talked to him on the phone here, like, uh, probably a few times a year. Um, I'll, I'll definitely come back. And then I'll just schedule a bunch of schools to kind of travel yeah, around. Yeah, sick. Um. So Webb, if you go back and watch footage of Webb on a 250 and watch him in those first couple 450 years, all you have to do is look at his look at his feet. That's it. Webb's footwork still isn't um, as good as some of the guys that really kill it with the footwork, but it's improved quite a bit. Webb used to ride very flat-footed, and then with his toes pointed out. So. Flat-footed is an issue because you just don't have that, and especially Webb being a short guy, you lose that suspension travel in your ankle. That's a lot of travel. Um, like when you're riding on the balls of your feet and allowing your heels to drop, like when you watch a somebody with really good footwork go through a set of whoops, it looks like they're almost breaking their ankle, right? Because yeah. there's so much flexion there. That's tr- that's suspension travel. That's a, that's th- it's probably two, three, four inches of suspension travel. Yeah. So. Webb was riding shifted forward a little bit. Like if you had seen the bottom of his boots in those years, they were probably worn right in his arches. So being on your arches, you eliminate all of that suspension travel. But then also riding with your foot forward like that, the only way to not have your foot hitting the brake in the shifter is to have your toes out. Mm. And that's bad for a couple of reasons. But the one of the biggest ones is that it doesn't allow you to really work the bike with your lower body because your knees, if your toes are pointed out, your kneecaps are pointed out and you can't grip the bike with your lower body. So going from a, maybe a 250 web was dominant on a 250. You can manhandle that. Right. But when you get to the 450, if you're web size and you're trying to muscle that thing around with your upper body, it's simply just not going to work. 90%, if not more of that grip strength is coming from, your lower body and footwork is the number one most important thing. Like watch Roxon. He is so intentional with watch Sexton, watch Cincerello. These guys are super, super intentional with where their feet are on the pegs at all times. If you watch Roxon take a turn and dab his foot to the dirt, it will instantly reset and go right back to the foot peg where watching Webb in those years, the foot would catch, it would drag, it would, he'd try to put it out again, it would drag the dirt again. So one mistake turns into three, where now that's even taking it a step further. Now you're seeing guys like Roxon just deciding to leave their feet on altogether. And that's mm. what I try to teach. There's, and this is definitely will stir up some arguments, but and people ask me this, they say, well, what situation should I leave my feet on? What situation should I take them off? I say, if I were to have a kid and they want to ride, I will teach them how to ride a dirt bike with both feet on at all times. And then naturally, like if they need to put their foot out to save themselves every once in a while, I get it. Like 
the only reason these guys are putting their foot out in Supercross in these corners is because they they just put it down sometimes to save themselves from crashing. That's really all it is if you think about it. That foot, yeah, there people say it like shifts weight here or there. <laughs> Not really. I've experimented so much. I've hit different all different types of corners, feet on, feet off, uh, but in all different positions on the seat just to see what happens. Mm. All it is is an extra movement. All it is is having one less limb connected to the bike so you have less of your legs holding on to the thing. And it's easier to make mistakes. I don't know. That's uh, that's how I feel about it. And you, you saw Webb, that shift. As soon as he got on the KTM, I don't know who told him or who was working with him, but those feet started to come in. Maybe he started watching. And technique-wise, uh, that makes all the difference. Maybe he started watching YouTube. Maybe. Maybe. You're maybe, welcome, Coop. I, I think <laughs> you should just claim it. <laughs> 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 no, nah, I mean, so I did a... Um, I did a, a trip to Townley's place. He does like a, his BT tours, like all through New Zealand. In, and then, yeah, I want to do that. Oh, dude, it's fucking ridiculous. Um, but I yeah, go we do it and bring my camera guy and do a vlog. That'd be sweet. Oh, it'd be, it'd be insane, dude. Um, but yeah, like that was the first thing that Townley um, said to me, just like fully changed, like the attack position for me. And, uh, and I could not believe the extra travel that you'd get suspension wise out of, out of your ankles. Like it felt weird. And then like I could put weight in different areas and I could like, I was having, um, you know, like I'd go right hand turn, my right heel would drop a little bit more cause there's a bit more weight in it. Like it just completely changed, um, riding for me. And now when I ride, um, my first thing every time i like i'll reset my body positioning i'm just like on my toes gripping with the knees and it's just it's something that i've tried to make into a habit but it is, it's a fucking game changer and if you look like uh another thing i don't know it's probably cool to, to ask you about but one of the things like i've studied um a bunch of footage of sexton writing like i get on youtube i slow it right down and i watch his technique i've also noticed um, his knee line is never over the up front arch of his ankle. It's like, so his knees are always, his kneecap would always be behind like that front arch. Mm-hmm. That, that when I put my students on the stand, I tell them balls, your feet, toes pointed in the next thing I, I always say, go through the checklist in your head from your feet to your head. Right. So you got balls, your feet. Toes pointed in, very next thing is knees level with or behind the foot pegs. Mm. There's exceptions to it. Like if you're hitting a really short and steep obstacle where you kind of let your knees blow forward for a second in certain situations, that's the exception. Hang on. I feel like my camera's not recording. That's all right. We got time. Oh, maybe. Have you got another one? Yep, somewhere. Where did I put it? There's a question. Oh, it's in my computer. Hang on. You're good. No rush. 
Well, we I don't know how you're going to do that. You're going to have to get creative. I don't know when it stopped recording. I've still been, I'm recording your screen as well, like your webcam, so we can just revert back to that. What'd you do there? Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I muted my mic. I don't know what um, I'm doing. Can you um, give a clap in front of your face again? Perfect. Good. Um, okay. Yeah, so, you're, so the knees, so that's the one thing I did notice. The knees would come forward uh, when he was like scrubbing and stuff. You're kind of like pushing the knees like towards mm-hmm. the radiators kind of. Um, but yeah, like pretty much as soon as Sexton would stand up, he would shift his knees all the way back as far as he could, get the hips back and then like bend at his spine. Yep. Yeah, so it's like a hip hinge, and your your knees stay back, um, and then you you hinge from the hips to get your chest forward. That's the hard part. So, and that's what happens. I say, okay, get your knees back, and as soon as I do that, my students will go like this, whoop, and they'll extend their yeah. arms back because you know that's kind of what feels natural to them. So, the tricky part is keeping the knees back no matter what. And what what's helpful is um, if you have a, a seat with ribs on it. Yeah. You can usually use one of the ribs as a gauge. So like every once in a while, if you're just getting used to it, look down and be like, okay, my knees shouldn't go in front of the second rib on my seat. Or you just look at your foot pegs. If you look down, you can't see your tippy toes and you can't see your foot pegs. Your knees are too far forward. So drive the knees back, but then your head has to stay forward. So I always tell my students, if you're doing it right, you should feel a heck of a stretch in your hamstring. Yeah. If you're doing it wrong... If you're doing it wrong, you're going to feel the weight in your quads and in your shins because your knees are in front of your toes. Um, yeah, Sexton is probably the like the most picture-perfect attack position if you could ever draw it up. Uh, Roxon is probably the best footwork in the corners, although Sexton's pretty darn close. But Sexton and Roxon are two guys to really, like, if you're going to emulate style, watch those guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one thing I, unreal. one thing I noticed going, kind of jumping around, but going back to this weekend, <laughs> um, one of the things that I noticed, there was one lap through the whoops where, and I don't know whether it was tired or whether it was like mentally Coop broke him, but man, Roxon completely lost his attack position in the whoops and his arms were going like that. Like it wasn't necessarily like the bike stayed straight, and he was still going through the whoops, but he lost that attack position completely. And uh, yeah, I don't know what the factor was, but man, it's definitely like since I've really been like paying attention to that technique and that that specific attack position, man, you could see the point in the main event where Kenny lost that. Yeah, and in the whoops, it's a, and that's the beauty of the attack position is you utilize it Anytime your butt's off the seat standing up, it is the same position. It's the same position to jump five feet or 105 feet. It's the same position to go through a set of sand rollers or a set of super cross whoops. It's all the same. So usually two mistakes in the whoops. So one, either you would get your head too far back and try to lean too far off the back, which then just creates an uneven motorcycle and then you end up doing the old teeter-totter. Or if you hesitate a little bit too much on the entry um well this can happen a couple different ways either that or if you just straight up just get too much wheel spin Mm. it's easy to allow your knees to cave forward and your whole lower half to kind of go too far forward 
which then same thing. It'll kind of create that teeter totter effect. Um, and then whoops, it doesn't take much. Like you, you mess up that, that, that position for just one of the 12 whoops and you've uh, basically screwed yourself the whole rest of them. Yeah, I mean, because it's so precise, you have to hit, you have to keep a yeah. level plane so then you can hit the very top inch or two of every single whoop with the front and the rear tire. As soon as your body position's out of shape, left, right, forward, back, you, you're not hitting that exact point on the whoop. Yeah. And so and there's no, there's no coincidence why the guys with the best attack position are the guys that go the best through the whoops, right? Jet Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And watching Hunter Lawrence in the whoops, him and Jet look pretty identical and they can trust their entry speed because their attack position is so good Yeah. that they can enter as fast as they want. The guys that get a little squirrely attack position wise and, and get scared and come out of position or just don't have it dialed as good as Jet and Hunter do would get themselves killed 50% of the time coming into the whoops. But every time I watch Jet and Hunter, same thing with Christian Craig, enter a set of whoops at that speed, I don't cringe because I'm like, oh, they'll be fine because they, yeah. they know to stay in that position no matter what. Yeah. It's um, cool to watch. Yeah, that was one thing, like, even, that's one thing BT says. He's like, man, I could teach you how to skim a set of whoops. He's like, it's fucking easy if you do it right. <coughs> mm -hmm. It just takes a lot of courage to stay in that position. Can yeah. I just say, too, by the way, I had Jet. I hired him for two days. That was my next question. <laughs> that dude is so fun to be around. Like, those were two of the best classes I've ever had. He's the man, dude. It was Oh, it was awesome. He geared up and rode with the kids all day long. Like I posted a clip on Instagram. There was one kid, with, one little boy who was about to cry because he was getting so down on himself and Jet gave him a pep talk and then had him sit on the back of Jet's bike. Like he has a heart of gold and he's so grounded for being, he's a superstar at seven, 17. I, we were just talking about how we thought, I, I thought I was an idiot at 24. What was I doing at? I mean, I was a pro at 17, but I was an idiot. And he just seems like he's got it pretty figured. You could tell he's a kid. When you talk to him, he's a kid. Yeah. But to just be level headed and for how successful he is. And he came up to me at the end of the very first day and he goes, Hey, can we do more of these? And I'm like, dude, of course. Like, literally, anytime you want, let me know and we'll do more of these. He's like, I just. I really enjoyed that. I loved like seeing the reactions of them getting excited and, and this and that. He's like, that's, that's what I love. I'm like, that is so cool to hear because I can't, I don't think I could say the same about a lot of the, I think a lot of the guys take the fame and, and that stuff for granted. And I think it's a lot from the, their old man. Like they, he lets them know that they're not crap. Right. Like, yeah. He, as soon as they think they're the shit, he's like, uh, uh. And yeah, man, you're, yeah, that, you're so, that was cool to see. You're so right, man. Like the, the reason, the reason both of those boys, are the way they are is because of Emma and Darren. Like they come from a real humble family and Darren's about as like Aussie fucking battler as it gets. And, and there's a, I mean, I feel like there's a kind of a big thing in Australian culture with like the whole tall poppy syndrome and it's something that, um, 
I mean, it's it's something I think about a lot, you know. Like that's I I really try and make sure I'm constantly reminded that I'm just a normal fucking dude <laughs> that has a messy ass room and needs to mm-hmm. do my washing when I get home. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, a lot of times, like I think that's a real Australian thing. Like a lot of times, if you're if you're an Aussie and you're around people that and you step out of your lane of just being like a normal dude like our culture is pretty ruthless towards those people that decide to step out and start thinking that they're better than what they are and i mean australia is a young country and it come from real humble beginnings you know like everyone kind of knows the convict story but it's like australia wasn't shit and you know we've kind of just been this like little underdog country that's like kind of working its way up there and i i don't know there's something that's real deep there that like runs real deep and i think that um it was especially to like i kind of have learned this on both fronts because i went to america real young and then i was just like a fucking film film dude man but like I was around all the races and I was going to all the parties and I was banging heaps of chicks and, you know, like I sort of, I got the taste of like, oh fuck, this is pretty sick. Like I can kind of, I don't, I don't have to be like the humble Aussie dude. Like I can, I can be, I can be who I want to be and I can say this and I can do that. I'm getting these girls and partying. People want to hang out. And then I had like a big, I had like a bit of a big switch, man, where I was just like, oh this ain't the move to do this. Like it's pretty accessible over in America, like being an Aussie. And, uh, and yeah, I kind of, I saw that. I was like, ah, man, this is probably a weird thing to want. Like if I want this and if I'm like really enjoying all this shit, like this is actually kind of weird. And I was lucky. I got, I came home a bunch of times to where people would like that cut you down back down to size pretty Mm -hmm. quick. But, and then I think I've seen a lot of Aussies that go over there and they just stay over there and then they only have, like, they just stay around American mates and it's like, no one's really trying to cut you down. Like people almost enjoy the fact that you're being kind of extra, but it gets to a point where it's like not a good thing anymore. So I think with Jet and Hunter, they're, they're not going to go through that. Like they've got too many good people around them to for in terms of like so Darren cool. and Emma like they're not on their own they're not getting to carry on the way that you know a lot of young dudes do when they when they go over there and I think that that is probably going to really serve them well in the long term because you can't yeah, it's, it's just when you start so... drinking the Kool-Aid you know mm-hmm. it and ultimately too you know that's being that high caliber and thinking you're the shit that's not what's cool what's cool is being that dude and being humble about it that's the next level of coolness that's what's really cool right yeah um what about reed because i feel like reed went through a phase of kind of being he went through that kind of a little bit of a dick yeah and Uh, he's been really cool the last few years though like really cool but um, I i definitely like I didn't say two words to the guy my whole pro career because it just seemed like he wasn't nice. Yeah, I, I think know. that... Maybe I um, been reading that wrong. No, I mean, dude, I didn't talk to Chad until I did the podcast with him. <laughs> like, we did, we weren't, like, we weren't cool. Like, I had, like, a super weird attitude towards him. Part of that was me as well. Like, I, I sort of... We spoke about it on the podcast that a, a part of that was, like, I 
wanted to be cool with him just because I was like, hey, well, I'm Aussie, you're Aussie, you're here killing it, I'm doing my best. Like, surely we'll fucking get along. And then there was just, like, nothing. I think that there's, like, a few things with uh, with Chad that probably went on, like, it was a different time, there's a lot more money, there's a lot of people trying to get at him constantly, um, social media wasn't really a thing, so you didn't really have, like, a voice in your own way the way that writers do now. Um and the, 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 like, the media was still more of the media. Like, nowadays, I mean, it's, it's like, for the better. If you get on and talk shit or, like, the media talks shit about you, then, like, you just get on your Instagram. All these writers have fucking more followers than, like, the media anyway. So you can get out and you can be yourself and you can say what you want to say. I think in the era of, like, in Chad's defense, you know, that era, you didn't, have that opportunity like you got the interview there with the racer x or the tv and then they're like propositioning you to say certain things anyway so it's not like you're really getting to say what you want to say because you're only getting asked questions from a certain angle um so i think like there probably was a bit of that with chad i think chad had a bit of a um that whole tall poppy thing that i spoke about i think chad resented that a little bit from australia um and then you know dude it was huge like anyone over here would be like fucking chad lost his accent blah 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 and you know that was like i think that was like the big thing with the aussie public they were just like fuck you dude like you don't even talk like us anymore um so i think that that was probably like yeah Has so i don't know I feel, the, yeah uh, i think did, so did, yeah yeah because um, like i mean he yeah, started coming to the that. races a lot more here um started you know and he got his own social media and you could see who he actually is and he got to say you know the things that he wanted to say and i think uh i think that probably was an element too of like when your career winds down you start to realize your ego starts to uh, fade away a little bit especially with the kids yeah yeah and it's like you kind of start to feel like oh fuck if i'm not a good dude i kind of don't have anything like i don't have championships i don't have and it's not to say Chad wasn't a good dude, but it's just like he didn't let people in to know that he was a good dude, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I text him, I don't know, a couple months ago, expecting to never get a response. I asked him to do, to do a school and he responded right away and said, yeah. So it just, yeah, we'll have to make that happen. But I was surprised. I was like, ah, there's no, he'll never respond. Sure enough. Nah, he did. Honestly. He said, Hey AJ and like was super nice so i was like oh that's cool yeah honestly he's a fucking awesome dude like he's such an i've i'm i'm lucky that i've got to hang out with him as much as i have um you know post doing that podcast and yeah i'm a huge huge uh not like a fan but like i'm a huge uh advocate of chad being a really good dude (laughs) because i think he he's got a bad rap over time and i i have i was one of those dudes that thought that shit about him yeah, oh, he's a legend. Legend. Every time I hear that ACDC song, for the rest of my life, I will think of Chad Reed. <laughs> will be Chad's <laughs> opening ceremonies. Oh yeah, every t- man that like, yeah, legendary, legendary. But hey, dude, I kind of sort of have to get rolling. I'm getting pressure from the wife. I got to spend time with the dog because we're leaving. I haven't been around. I'm leaving yeah, no, for a no. week. The poor guy. Nah, can we do more good. of these things get me on race day yeah and then 
I want to shoot the shit more. We just scratched the surface. Oh, dude, yeah, we really did. Um, well, you got you got the setup there pretty dialed now. Um, so yeah, we can we Let's can hope it works. Um, have you got anything to shout out over uh, that's coming up? Um, obviously, your schools, your YouTube channel, um, and yeah, we definitely should do this again because there's so much more stuff to talk about. When are you releasing this? That would determine what I what I plug. <laughs> Probably tomorrow. Okay, so I got to get you this footage ASAP tonight. Yeah, right? just once once you're done, just dump the cards. I'll make a Google Drive, and then you just, yeah, drop the footage. And okay. Sweet. Um, yeah, so go to ajcatzero.com. Sign up for the Plessinger class if you live in the U.S. If you want a class in Australia, let me know where. As soon as I can fly over due to COVID <laughs> restrictions, I'll fly over, and I'll just hit a bunch of different locations while I'm there. I could even, honestly, I could just hire like top tier Australian dudes to be guest instructors and do it that way. Cause I think I need to have, um, like certified coaches present anyhow. Right. Isn't that yeah, how it works? Cool. Uh, I got no idea. I, I'd be down to help you with whatever you need. I did a class. Yeah. That would be very helpful by the way. I did a class, uh, in Australia a couple of times and I think I had to have somebody that was a certified trainer there to kind of like sign yeah. off on it to make it legit yeah but uh yeah subscribe to my youtube i guess huh that's yeah. all that really matters <laughs> that's it <laughs> but thanks for having me dude this was a blast yeah. how long is this we were chatting for a while now two and a half hours look at us go salad goes quick salad. oh man we could we could have kept going too there's uh there's a bunch more well yeah maybe uh yeah now now that you've got your your setup dialed um i don't know when you're going to be in california but you could always pop into the uh into the the cali studio as well um but yeah this setup this setup worked pretty good so yeah well let's hope but yeah cali studio anytime race day if you want to do a race day thing let me know what i have to buy and i'll go buy whatever no nah, dude I you need. can just do it like face you could just do it off your iPhone. Oh, you think? Just like an Instagram yeah, yeah. video like we did? Yeah, 100%. Nah, okay. so you just, that same call that you're logged into now, will um, uh-huh. you just put in your same name, password, and it'll buzz you straight into the studio. Oh, right from my phone I could do that? Yeah, boy. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah we I could, could get that. you on. Yeah, we could get you on whenever. Or... Um, yeah, I mean, or if you, yeah, anyway, we could figure it out, but I'd love to. Atlanta, we should just aim to do it at Atlanta. Yeah, that'd be sick. Well, I'll man, strap, I'll, I'll just strap my phone to my bike and you guys can ride around with me. Dude, <laughs> that would legit work. Like, I'm not even joking. <laughs> if, you put like a, if you put like a phone helmet cam mount on, that would legit work. Oh, my God. I don't know how that'd Dave Prater would feel about that. Oh, no. Nothing flies with, uh, with old Feld. Yeah, I know. Nothing. That's like a whole... T- that's a whole topic in itself. Yep. Yep. I could talk for two and a half hours about that. Fuck. All right. Well, let's, uh, <laughs> let's do AJ part two pretty soon. Cause I feel like, yeah, we've got a lot more shit to talk about. Yes, sir. Well, thank you for having me, dude. I appreciate it. That was awesome. No, nah, no, nah. you're a nah, good I man. Really appreciate you're you. a good man. No, nah, I appreciate you, dude. Um, well, sweet. Thank you everybody for listening. Subscribe to AJ's YouTube channel, AJ Catanzaro uh on instagram as well and uh buy some black rifle coffee to support the great man Mm. and um and yeah keep keep doing it man honestly like i cannot uh i cannot overstate 
how good a job you do. Uh, I'm excited for you to enter like the next phase of this whole YouTube thing with uh, some help. Um, your schools have added a lot of value to a lot of people and the, the YouTube channel adds a lot of value as well. So I really appreciate you uh, and the work that, that you guys do. It's, it's fucking good for motocross and supercross. Thank you, dude. Thank you. Appreciate that.